Welcome back to the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I am your host, as always, Robbie Burke. And before we get into today's show, I just want to give a shout out to all of the show's sponsors. Firstly, upmentorship.com, which is one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. The Ultimate Performance Online Mentorship is 20 hours of top-class strength and conditioning information available for instant access right at your fingertips. To find out more, head over to upmentorship.com, which is linked up in the show notes. Check it out and help support the show. Next, I want to give a shout out to Altus360 and Altus Education, which are two outstanding online resources for any practitioner in the sports preparation profession. Be sure to head over to the show notes and check out these unique platforms. Next, I want to give a shout out to Joseph Johnson at Ultimate Alley Concepts. Ultimate Alley Concepts is a multifaceted company providing the most sophisticated scientific material in sports science. Ultimate Alley Concepts is the world's leading resource for translated sports preparation material. Next, I want to give a shout out to Papi's National Sports Performance Association, which is an online certification platform for professionals within the sports preparation profession. Currently, the NSPA has four certifications available. Speed and Agility, delivered by Lee Taft. Olympic Weightlifting, delivered by Will Fleming. Nutrition, delivered by Dr. Chris Moore. And Program Design, delivered by Coach Robert Dos For more information on the NSPA, be sure to check out all of the links in the show notes. Finally, I want to thank another brainchild of Pat Beef's, Athletes Acceleration, which is another online medium that delivers excellent educational resources for strength and conditioning professionals. And just like with all of our other sponsors, head over to the show notes to get the links to all of the available products that Athletes Acceleration has to offer. A full disclosure, except for Altus360 and Altus Education, I am an affiliate to all of the show sponsors. Lastly, before we get into today's interview, I just want to let all the listeners know that the podcast is now on Patreon. If you feel that you are in a position to support the show, I would truly appreciate any donations you'd be willing to make to help support the podcast. Okay, that's enough rambling from me. Let's get into today's show. This episode's guest sees the return of my man, Max Schmarzo from Strong by Science. Max is the Director of Sports Science and Research at Resilience Code, and he's also the Chief Science Officer of Exergo Technologies, I hope I said that right, and is also the founder of Strong by Science. Max has co-written two books, Applied Principles of Optimal Power Development and Isometrics for Performance, that he did with Matt Van Dyke. And Max has previously been on the podcast when himself and Matt were back on on episode 172, which I'll have linked up in the show notes. On this episode, Max and I discussed a shit ton of topics. Firstly, Max gives us an update on what he's been up to lately. Max talks to us about the G-Tech technologies available from Exergo and his recent trip to Brazil back in August. Max and I discuss, is it really important for ice hockey players to improve elastic reactive strength? I asked Max to share with us his thoughts on biometrics and utilizing exercise as a more predominant prescription of medicine going forward as a society. We discuss sports injuries from an evolutionary perspective. We discuss the difference between health and sport, a common topic on this podcast. Max gives us his thoughts on injury mechanisms. I asked Max about circadian biology's role in injury. We discuss chronotypes. 
we discuss HRV. I asked Max to explain what is inferential biometrics. We discuss what is a holistic and multidisciplinary team approach to performance. I asked Max, how can head coaches and managers know if an individual is competent at their profession? I asked Max if he was made head of performance for an NFL team, what would he do? We discuss data collection and privacy protection for athletes. I asked Max what's next for sports science and human performance in his opinion. We discuss the double-edged sword of modern technology. We discuss the importance of understanding human behavior. I asked Max what was he currently reading and listening to at the time we recorded this podcast. Uh, I asked Max, what did he have for breakfast? I asked Max, who would he like to interview at the time that we recorded this podcast? I asked Max to share his thoughts on creativity. And finally, I asked Max if he could invite five people to dinner, dead or alive, who would he invite and why? And I did ask Max this question back on episode 172 when he was on with Matt, as I mentioned earlier. But I just wanted to ask him again to see if his answer had changed and uh, who he would currently invite if he could invite five people. Guys, this was a savage episode with Max. We covered a lot of topics, as you can tell by this intro, and I hope you really, really enjoy it. Schmarzo, we are live, sir, and we are recording. So, Maximus, what is new? Um, nothing. Well, I guess a lot. A, whole, <laughs> a lot of things are new. Um, been working on a lot of different projects working on developing sports technology with Exergo and the G-Flight and the G-Sprint. Obviously, rolling here at Resilience Code in Denver and uh, going strong with uh, Strong by Science. And uh, so a lot of things going on, um, but it's good to stay busy and always awesome to talk with you. Cheers, man. Appreciate that. Uh, fill us in a little bit more now on that sports tech that you that you just mentioned there. So, yeah, you kind of just like put the you know put the word out there and didn't uh, expand. So, what what technology specifically are you developing and looking into? So, um, I'm actually the chief science officer of Exergo, and we have developed um, portable jump flight devices as well as sprint devices, and I have a couple other uh, tricks up our sleeve. They're basically the size of your phone. Um, there's two of them. And obviously, they talk to each other. The beam width is about 20 feet. It's a single beam. Um, the product itself is $400 with a phone app. Whoa. And what makes it really nice is that you can just throw it in your pocket. So I can carry these sons of guns in my pocket. Um, we have coaches that use them. They put one on every rack in the weight room because they're so mobile. And so they'll have like six or eight lined up on a rack, and they'll do their jump squats. And it allows the athlete to have that immediate feedback because all of our devices come with an external display. Um, I told Greg, the greatest sports science invention, and I told Joel this the other day, is the skip it. Do you remember what a skip it was? Or did you ever have one? No. Where it's like this, it's like a ball and chain. And what it did was it was wrapped around your foot and you'd spin the stupid thing and it would tell you how many circles you made. And But it told you real time. And so every kid was addicted to it. Because yeah, they yeah. were trying to get more and more. And... We were like, well, that external feedback needs to have no barrier. It needs to have zero obstacle of, ex of accessing that feedback. And so obviously we have a phone app. You can store it. You can read the metrics on your phone. But all of our devices come with an external screen. Um, I think that's what made Tendo so successful is because people bought this $2,500 device 
which has this massive software backbone. Yeah. But people just use it because it stands upright and it tells you how fast something moved. And we love it. It makes us competitive. It's just instant, um, grat- instant gratification. Dopamine hits. Yes. There are some studies that it had um, a group of individuals jumping. And there's actually they had three of them, I believe. All of them are follow-ups. And the first one started off with they get feedback. And if you um, they measured how high they jumped, obviously. One group got feedback. And then the other group got monetary reward if they were to jump higher. And the group with feedback of how high they jumped were actually the ones that jumped higher. The, mon- that the, study- the, mon- the monetary reward must be shit then. <laughs> I think it was like $5. It would have bought you a sandwich. Um, <laughs> but I thought it was so interesting um, because my girlfriend, uh, she's not an athlete um, anymore, but she plays volleyball in her spare time. And she, she trains like um, any individual who's into health and fitness. And I had my jump device out. And I was jumping on it because I'm trying to get back my hops, you know, the old man game for basketball. And she gets on it and she starts jumping. And the next day she pulls it out and she's jumping again. And I'm like, Kelsey, what are you doing? She's like, I'm on a jump program now. And I was like, why? And she goes, oh, because this device just tells me, you know, how high I'm jumping. And I get really mad when I don't jump high enough. And that's when it clicked for me. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Like that immediate feedback, it's like – I mean, in a good way, it's like the fun experience you get when you play um, like a slot machine, right? It's that anticipation of variable reward. Um, yeah. Obviously, it's, you're not losing money when you jump, but uh, it's the same concept. And so all of our devices will have that external display. Um, and they're all gonna, they all integrate onto one platform. So we have our own centralized platform. So you don't need to have nine different platforms kind of plugging your way into a centralized data collection area. It's uh, it's funny there when you said that your girlfriend like she she trains like most people who are just in the health and wellness. And I was thinking, just as, as you said, I was thinking had like a fucking moron because <laughs> that is most people. She does. You know, I'll give her respect. She's um. She she's she's in she, the te- she's in the ten percent that actually does train properly. But what I'm saying is most people who actually do go to the gym and train train like fucking morons. I wouldn't let her. <laughs> yeah, I I I, I would uh I. I and as I said before we went online, never good to make assumptions. But if I had to make an assumption, I, I would assume that would be that would be what would be going on. You, that she does train properly because you are her life partner currently. Um, she got better clean than me, so I, I give her respect for that. Yeah, volleyball, of course, fuck's sake, she'd want it. Uh, yeah, you were saying too in Joel's um, podcast, you traveled to Brazil with with, with these bad boys, and uh, you had them in, like you had them on your carry on. They're that they're yeah. that portable. They're that poor. I had my sprint devices and my jump devices in my carry-on. I put them in my backpack. Um, they were like, what is this? And I was like, it measures how high you jump. And they kind of gave me a funny look when I was going through TSA. But you that was about you it. You should have said, want to go? Do you want to go? Come on, let's go. Let's go right now. <laughs> yeah, I'd line them up and see how fast I can run. Um, so the thing about our uh, sprint device, too, which we kind of made it for, is some other devices on the market take quite a bit of time to line up. Um, you have, uh, certain devices that, uh, I guess aren't the most, um, user friendly when it comes to a training setting. We wanted to make all these devices really easy to use in the training setting. The setup is instantaneous. Um, you don't need to reset the device every time someone sprints through. You can have one person sprint through next person line up and go and it'll register a new start time. Um, so again, it's pretty nice to have it very fluid like that. And again, the price point they're all affordable. So our jump device is $400. Our, 
our Sprint device um, is $899, so it, well, $899, not $8.99, but it's um, affordable, especially compared to everything else on the market. And that was one of our things that we talked about was um, no ding to the just jump map, but I used it in my research uh, in graduate school, and I had to lug it between the strength conditioning room to the lab every day. And the thing was huge, and I had to like put it above my head and like yeah, yeah. walk across campus. Um, and that's kind of where the idea initially started from. I was like, how can I make this quicker um, and much easier to utilize? Yeah, the just jump is one of those. It's one of those pieces of equipment where you're like, do I carry this under my arm? Do I hold it with two arms? Like, it's one of those. I mean, you're, I'm never comfortable when I'm fucking carrying this thing. We also got on our device too ground contact times, um, and we give you we give you an RSI as well. Sweet. So we try to make it as uh, much information as we can possibly derive from the kind of portable device. The controversial RSI. If dun, dun, un- dun, dun. If it's under 250 milliseconds, it's a fast short strength. Like, but if it's over that, you're a slow bastard. And that's like, what if I play a sport where that ground contact doesn't matter? Actually, a question, yeah. I mean to ask Devin this before, Devin McConnell. Like, he, he uses RSI with hockey players. And I'm like, but hockey players, like, Skate on ice. They don't have short ground contacts like on ground like sprinters. Now, if you're using it for like just like neural feedback as a central nervous system fatigue indicator, I get it. But it's just like I hear guys talking about using that with hockey players and like improving their elasticity. I'm like, but like how much elasticity do hockey players use? And like they actually want to spend time on ice to produce force. It's just a question I have. What do you think? That's a well, that's a good question. I don't work with any hockey players. Um, yeah, I've but, actually never. But you have a brain. Never... You, you have a brain. You can think of you can think about this question. <laughs> That's a good no. That's a really good question, right? Because you want to um, extend your time on there, um, being that the friction and all that fun stuff with ice and the time mm-hmm. that you would propel yourself. Um, if anyone, I don't, if, any, if anyone listens to this has any ideas that 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 are worth, they think is worth putting out. Yeah, stick, let stick, me know. Yeah. Stick stick them on our socials. Um, uh, it's a good conversation. Come here. Love a, to que- hear. a question I do want to ask you, uh, getting more into your uh, area of current expertise. Uh, something I speak about with James Fitzgerald on, on the OPEX podcast and whenever I speak to James you know this sort of uh, this evolving sort of um, fitness technology integration with like health and wellness markers and and, I, and by the way I know we were speaking beforehand I'm, I'm not talking about now about like fitness and health which we will get into and we can rant on about that and fucking st- sound like two money all bastards I'm actually speaking about like in the future using technology to actually improve people's uh, health and wellness so like like in the future like you can only see a world where like your phone is like telling you this is your blood sugar level right now and you should do this and this is your hydration levels and like you'll wake up in the morning like and go to your fridge and your fridge will say good morning max your current hydration status is this and your vitamin b and d and all this and this would be an optimal breakfast to get your levels back to you know all this do you, do you see like technology and, and like that sort of health and wellness and medicine kind of going to be more of a mainstream in, the, in like general life today in like 20 30 40 years or maybe even sooner or later i don't know so I see the technology being there. Um, it's probably scarily close to being there now, but I have mixed emotions as to what level of buy-in um, and compliancy there will be. Mm. Right? People already know it's not a secret that working out is good for you and helps you live longer, but there's a lot of obese people in America. So it's not like the, the information is hidden. Um, but then again, maybe if it became much more um, in your not in your face, but controlling in a way that you don't have to make decisions, it tells you what decision to make. Yeah. Right? Drink more water. You need to work out here. 
I can see it happening. Um, eventually, you, you might see something along the lines of kind of a Westworld. Do you watch Westworld, by the way, on no. HBO? Okay, no. so that's I'm a spoiler Ar- I'm for I'm, Ar- I'm in Ireland, Jermaine. We don't have HBO here. We don't have your fucking crazy American channels with, with advertising breaks every five minutes, shoving pharmaceutical <laughs> fuck down your throat. Hey, do you suffer from this? You should take this. And then at the end, that voice that talks really, really fast about all the side effects. Don't give to your kids. <laughs> well, basically, in that show, they make um, like a, a digital twin of that individual. Oh. So I can see you going towards a digital twin world where you would have certain markers um, or indicators like, okay, you worked out this hard and you did this much. Tomorrow we need to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah, yeah. And then I can see health insurance really kind of wanting mm. to get into that as well mm. because those who are compliant to such will obviously have lower risk of um illness and whatnot and so it could be driven from a monetary standpoint um of like a free market healthcare system i i think compliance will go up though because i i know what you're saying and that like people like you know like they know what's shite food and they 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 know that now you said like exercise does that longevity. There is like ex- exercise is like like a medicine. Like it's it's dose response. Obviously you know too little it's not good. Too much is fucking not good either. It's Goldilocks. You want that sort of sweet spot in the middle. And then also like with nutrition too. Like there still does need to be like like that thing where people like there is no good food and bad food. Like you need to know nutritional principles first of all. You know like energy, energy out, macros, micros, timing, and then supplements and stuff. Because I think what a lot of people did there for a while was like bread makes you fat and this food makes you fat and this food is bad. And it's like uh, no food in isolation like is bad. Like there has to be context put around it. Sort of things. But anyway, my point I was going to make is I do think compliance will go up because it's a feedback thing. I think that people need like it's in, like if you're getting instant feedback saying like so let's say you're a fat fuck and like you're just starting on your your, your exercise journey. See, like, you know, the first session you do it and you feel brutal and then you're like, oh, now I don't get to, I have to eat this different food and it's it's uncertain to me and all this. But if you're getting feedback going, well done, you worked out today, you, you know, uh, lost this amount or expended this much amount of energy and this meal now has this nourishment in it, it might be, you know, the, fee- the instant feedback of that, like, might be enough to get you to the next one and then you start seeing results and then once you start seeing results, like, you're fucking bought in. So I, I think that the instant feedback, like you were just talking about with the jump, with the jump mat, giving instant feedback, I think that would help people stay more compliant because they're getting reward centers hitting their brain from just like getting the feedback and the reward of well done, you're a good, you're a good person. Yeah, it's the only tricky part I see with that is a lot of devices right now. For example, I'm wearing a Whoop. I have no affiliation with Whoop. Whoop. Um, whoop. But it tells you how much you sleep and it tells you your HRV. Um, but I know individuals who can't wear it because it gives them like anxiety that I'm not going to sleep enough (laughs) and it's going to tell me I didn't sleep enough and then I sleep poorly. And so when we implement this technology, which is a purely objective metric, we need to understand the subjective implications of it and whether that be how we word it, can the individual set it up in a certain way because a universal model for um, kind of how we communicate doesn't work with everybody, right? And so there should be some user input into how that device communicates with you yeah. And if it's modeled to how you respond, then I totally see it working, right? Yeah. Um, maybe yeah. for one person, it's like, yeah. hey, lazy ass, go work out. And another yeah, person's yeah. like, hey, you haven't worked out in a while. You need to think about doing X, Y, and Z. Mm. And for one person, one may work, and the other, the other may work. That's a great point. Uh, that is a great point. The other thing, dude, that just actually came into my mind there, too, is that obviously, like, 
the novelty will wear off because this is something that Carl Valley brings up. It's like how do you keep how do you keep things sexy in the long term? Like so, you know, like if you if you were like it is such a good point because like you know you go to a t- like let's say you're like you're brought in to work with a team organization and they've never had really any sort of sports science before and like you start doing like HRV and jump profile and then you know you're doing all these wellness markers like so again like doing HRV and uh, online questionnaires and then you're doing like fucking pro- profiles to look at central nervous system fatigue. And, uh, and there's a community people listening to this saying, what is central nervous fatigue? Does it even exist? I don't know. Let's keep going anyway. It's a conversation. I'm trying to make a point. Uh, but like, you know, you bring in all this, <laughs> you, you bring it, you bring in all sports science, right? And at first, like, cause it's such a novelty and it's, it's all tech and it's all fucking looks amazing. Like everyone's like, Oh, this is amazing. But then obviously like, you know, a few weeks down the road, you're kind of like, if I do another fucking RSI to see my central nervous system fatigue, or if I have to fucking do my HRV again, like I'm going to blow my brains out. So it's kind of like trying to keep it sexy, you know? So uh, that, yeah. that that could be another thing too. Then eventually, like, like how how to keep you you brought the point there. It really, it's trying to match that technology too with the personality of the person. Like, so um, yeah, it's, it that, needs to be minimally invasive. It needs to not have um, anything <laughs> obstructing its usage. So the thing about like the whoop that I enjoy is that I don't need to take my HRV. It yeah. takes it for me. Yeah. Right. People I've experienced with Omega wave, the thing how, that's difficult accurate, with it. How accurate is that though? The whoop? Um, I've heard mixed opinions. Um, from my understanding, the HRV is accurate. The sleep cycles, um, obviously are not as perfect and the sleep cycles are based off of, uh, changes in HRV, but most wearable devices, it's almost near impossible to get yeah, a, yeah clear-cut uh, sleep cycle representation, um, but does get uh, resting heart rate as well, yeah. which I like having both metrics yeah. uh, for my own sake. And then the way it measures sleep is reliable, yeah. so it measures it the same way. Oh, uh, yeah. I did a self-experiment there a uh, <coughs> couple of weeks ago. I tracked my blood glucose for 10 days, and it was just amazing like just, just to see your, your blood sugar regulation. Like, I think every human being should actually do that for a period of time just to just to become aware of like how important blood sugar regulation is and actually how how certain uh, certain times during the day like because it was funny as I was doing the as I was monitoring my blood sugar and like I was feeling certain ways I was like oh so this is what this is like I've had these feelings for like you know like a fuzziness in your head you're like oh this is high blood sugar this is what it is like now I have that I kind of have that knowledge I'm like oh I have high blood sugar because fucking I was around blue light too late last night or I had a meal too close to bed or fucking whatever, maybe my sleep cycle was off or I didn't respond well to that meal or whatever it was. It was funny because the first five days my blood sugar was perfect like in terms of range-wise. Then I went to the seminar and was at a weekend and it took me like five days to restabilize my blood sugar for whatever reason. Don't know why, it was all over the place. Like, And when I was in the hotel, right, there was fucking EMFs everywhere and fucking didn't probably you know it disrupted my daily rhythm probably because it wasn't the same as whatever and but i remember like the 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 first night i came back from the seminar like i had a fucking actually blood sugar crash as i was going home i was like i feel fucking dreadful like and nutritional wise i didn't like change anything but just just it it was crazy but it took like four or five days for my blood sugar to get back to normal it was just it was really good experiment so i'm actually flying to america this month i'm going out to indianapolis to spend five days with bill hartman at ifas and i'm actually going to do a similar experiment they're going to do like five days here at home and then five days when i'm there and just seeing what the travel does to my blood sugar it'd be interesting to see like yeah my uh resting heart rate and hrv have i was in brazil two weeks ago and they haven't gotten back to where they should be um but they were awesome when i was there it's mad, which i it? found which was interesting even though i was getting like three hours of sleep a night and we were yeah, presenting but, that, but that's because i'd say the reason for that is is because you were pumping out 
yes. sy- sympathetic <laughs> hormones. So like you, you feel it was great. rolling. Yeah, yeah, you were rolling, and then there's the post crash <laughs> after. Yeah, it's, uh, you yeah. see that. Yeah, yeah. So that, that that would be expected to be honest. Um, it's uh the thing about that. It's like the people getting sick on vacation, right? It's like you have the the when the heat on and the windows open and it's cold outside. I steal the example from uh, Chase Phelps. He's like, well, you can have a a normal looking HRV, but both systems are having to crank really hard. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you go close a window and you overheat. Like, <laughs> you're on vacation, you take a break. I come home and I relax. My HRV is like death mode yeah. because my body only cares about like three things. It cares about being alive at the moment. It cares about having kids, and it cares about dying. Yeah. So all it wants to do is have kids and die, basically. And so if we're in a situation that you think that is okay, I need to make it through. Your body will get you from point A to point B in a way that it needs to, which is why like when we uh, get injured, we walk with a limp afterwards. We don't walk normal because your body doesn't care. Your body's like, that's a waste of energy to make you walk normal again, right? It doesn't, I just want you to have kids and die. If I got to make you walk normal again, you have to go to physical therapy where you re-educate your motor pattern, right? Think about a primal standpoint. Your body's like, forget that. Let's just yeah. give you a peg leg, and maybe you'll make it away from whatever's chasing you and trying to eat you. Yeah, we spoke. We spoke about that in our last conversation. I think with Matt too, when I was talking about like, one of the topics that was on my mind at the time was like this fucking thing about like sports injuries and everyone like going, you know, everyone's like, oh, sports injuries, like they should just never happen. Like you know, non-contact ones now, you know, like just soft tissue ones. And like my whole thing was like. Like sport is like so fucking novel to our body. Like our body is every time we go out and train and play, it's like our sport, our brains, our bodies are just like, what the fuck are you doing? Like this is not like it's not like giving us any evolutionary advantage here. We're not gaining any sex. We're not gaining. We're not put, passing on our genes here. We're not gaining food. We're just wasting a bunch of energy. So like you know, and then like it's like it's always so like organized and like you know, there's so much volume and intensity. Like and like. It's it's funny too because I was talking talking to James too about like CrossFit like you know so like elite level CrossFit and like sort of people that go to the regionals and games and it's just like like yo again we're gonna get into it. this actually will will kind of segue nicely into our next topic which is which is sport versus fucking health you know some people look across and go Jesus look at that they're in such great condition they're so healthy and so like uh they're in good they're in great condition to compete in crossfit well some of them are some of them are actually still fucked uh but from a health perspective they are fucked because your nervous system in your body is not meant to be driven into into like that fight or flight mode so many times like let alone probably so many times within a fucking lifetime but in like in the space of like a month <laughs> of, in, a month of training like the, like how many times is that hba axis getting hit like in a heavy fucking training block of crossfit i, I don't know but obviously like great thing with humans is we are very fucking adaptable and malleable but for long-term fucking health and wellness but again the 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 point before i let you speak or the point has to be made if you are someone who is fucking like a math raiser fucking savage crossfit and you just want to be a fucking warrior champion you just want to be the greatest that ever lived at it and like you come in and say matt yeah you'd be the greatest that ever lived but you do know you're potentially shortening your lifespan and he goes don't give a fuck I want to be the greatest crossfit ever lived. It's like, all right, well then there's no right or wrong with that. You've made your decision. You're aware of the consequences. <laughs> but like, that's what I mean. Yeah. There, there is no right or wrong. There's no judgment then on that. Like once, once people come aware, like, like, like fucking like people who play football now, we all know about the brains and the concussions. But if you still want to go out and play football, because you're like, listen, I feel most alive when I play football, and like I am going to die one day, and I want to live it as fulfilled as possible. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to make the trade-off here. I understand the trade-off. It's like, well then, there's no judgment. Go out and fucking knock yourself out, literally. <laughs> Yeah, I got a, a lot of things like 
I'm going to talk on that topic now. Um, right, go, because I'll show up now when you just talk and I can just stare. <laughs> I'll just stare at space pretending I'm listening. <laughs> one of the things that um, interests me is the idea of an injury, especially a non-contact injury, and how we think they occur versus how they actually occur. Um, right? We have It's always the last straw on the camel's back. So you see an ankle sprain or you see a knee injury, we go, oh, they must not have been strong enough. That's a ridiculous assumption, right? Um, <laughs> if you've ever gone out late at night, if you had 12 Taco Bell burritos and a bunch of beer, and you wake up the next morning and someone tells you run the fastest 40-yard dash you possibly could, you're probably A, going to be slower, and B, more susceptible to injury. And then if you get hurt, I'm going to say, oh, you had a weak hamstring. But clearly, it's because of someone else. And the example I give is when someone crashes a car, right? Let's imagine someone's turning and they sideswipe a car. You say, oh, that guy hit the car because he's a bad driver and he wasn't paying attention. Kind of correct, right? He might have not been paying attention because he didn't get enough sleep last night, because he broke up with his girlfriend last night, because he wasn't doing the dishes for two months, Mm -hmm. right? And all of a sudden that car crash that we see the very end product of is explained by this guy's poor ability to have a good relationship with his girlfriend because he's a lazy ass and won't clean his dishes, right? Now, if we look at injuries in the same way, we go, oh, that guy tore his hamstring, that guy sprained an ankle. I'm talking about non-contact injuries in this case. Um, We go, oh, it must have been something that local. How do we not know that it wasn't some disruption in neuromechanical coupling that came from sleep deprivation, that came from you know, maybe a cascade of events, maybe he had gut dysbiosis, which led to some systemic inflammation, and he wasn't recovering as fast from his RDLs that he did two weeks ago. And then he kept over and over the accumulated fatigue, and then he tears his hamstring, and we only monitor his workload capacity based on a catapult number or a trimp score, right, some level of, some type of inferential biometric. But we're not actually looking at the real culprit because this guy could have had signs and symptoms of something's going to go wrong, I don't know what, leading up to it, right? And it's the same way, like, okay, well, the same reason that he tore his hamstring, it could have had several other different events that took place going left and right, and he could have had a sinus infection instead. Mm -hmm. Now, those are kind of drastically different things, but the, the concept is that in systems biology, things talk to each other, and certain systems have to overcompensate for an undercompensating system. So maybe your HPA access, which we can talk about that too, and how HRV at times drives me insane because it's such a summation product, right? It's like a, a big uh, a check engine light. It doesn't tell you my transmission's broken. It just says check engine. Yeah. Um, but when we look at the holistic aspect of an athlete's health, to simply look at an injury as the end product, of like, oh, ankle sprain, weak ankle, well, that's, that's ridiculous because we know that even muscular strength, if we say someone's strength, right, I'm using air quotes so no one who can see me, um, <laughs> is see. weak, thank you, <laughs> is weak, we know strength is A, contextual, and B, multifaceted, right? Is it eccentric rate of force development, which maybe has to do something with inefficient um, recovery of the sarcoplasmic reticulum, because of reactive oxygen species, and that guy was hindered, and the calcium release and uptake wasn't as fast and as productive as it should be, mm. and his ability to contract quickly from his central drive wasn't there, and his weak hamstring 
tour, well, great. It might have been weak, but why the hell was it weak? You know, he's doing the same thing that every other player's doing, right? So why did this guy not? Why did he have a weak hamstring, yet he can do all this other stuff just fine? Um, I'm, yes, I don't think diving into the rabbit hole that deep is always the most productive for someone who's having to deal with something very acutely. But I do think the appreciation of it needs to be there. And maybe implementation of some sort of pre-participation exams like before the season needs to look at some of these signs and symptoms of general health and wellness. Because when you look at the parallels between an elite athlete who needs to compete and an elite CEO who needs to be healthy, they're very similar, right? They both need to be able to receive a stress and adapt to it. Now, the CEO might be traveling. It might be a lot of psychosocial stress. It might be big decision-making. But he has to have a very robust system to handle large levels of stress, right? A good CEO can't be sick every day. And the same token, the athlete needs to be able to be robust enough to handle different types of stresses as well. And if you look at the cellular level, right, you need to have an optimally healthy cellular system. And so whether that means diet, and I'm not talking about if it fits your macros kind of diet because that stuff is ridiculous, right? Start understanding about, okay, what are my micronutrients? Um, I'm looking to get in. And why is it beneficial to eat um, certain types of, you know, vegetables? And how does that lead to, you know, certain recovery aspects with short-chain fatty acids and helps my possible, um, you know, microbiome of the gut? Because we know the microbiome of the gut is also connected to your brain, right? And you have serotonin and dopamine being produced, and you can get depressed, and there are links to depression from gut issues and gut health because there's a crosstalk. So prove we it. start going. Prove it. Where, where's, where's the research? Have you got papers to back that shit up? I do. I do have papers. Like yeah, I can send make, to you after make this. Sure, yeah, just make sure you send them. That's all. Because I guess because this is where people don't ask this stuff. You know what I mean? No. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of them. actually really good papers. If you look oh, I up, know, um, I, I've, I've, I haven't delved into the research, but I know people. They have the brain gut connection. I know Doctor Tatis Karazian, his book. Why is my brain working? Is his name? I read it a few years ago. It's good. It's a fucking ginormous book. It's very good. Just one quick thing for you go on there. Where does light and circadian biology fit into all this? Because one thing. All of it. Yeah, you can rant on that now in just a sec. Well, just one thing, too, is that because uh, when I see injuries, too, like going back to what I was kind of touching on earlier, you know, people saying, oh, injuries, you know, like, again, people like the at least get injured, like, oh, they're a strength and conditioning fucking coach and the whole strength and conditioning team having a clue what they're doing with all these injuries. And it's just like, okay, let's just have a look again at this revolution as well. Playing fucking basketball at like 9 p.m. at night under these fucking <laughs> bright fluorescent lights. Like, and I always think, think of the inflammation that's driving into someone's system. So again, like they tear the cruciate and like you, you know, oh, it's their glute was weak or their ankle mobility or blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, how about their fucking levels of inflammation in their system was off the fucking charts and it was just eating into their fucking tissues and that tissue was just ready to snap it was. Yeah, no, so... I'm going to take a step back. So here at Resilience Co., we work heavily with integrative functional medicine. So, what is that? What is that for the listeners? So basically, it's taking a proactive stance and understanding the body is very complicated to help our um, recovery, our health, our wellness Oh, in so a you, way mean, you mean you mean it's medicine? Just one quick side <laughs> note. Just, just 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 one quick side on this. I find this funny. You know when people say conventional medicine, as in like you know the conventional medical model, and they call everything else alternative, and it's like Chinese medicine like has been around for two thousand years. Conventional medicine has been around like one hundred and fifty, two hundred years or something like that. You know, in the form it is now, and it's like conventional medicine is actually the alternative medicine, really, if you think about it. So there is time and place for both. 
If you need oh, to cut yeah. someone, if you need to cut it's, someone's it's arm off, integrated medicine. Yeah, if you need to do something. So my doc, the doc I work with, a doctor Chad Pressmack. Um, the guy is ridiculously intelligent. He's a neurosurgeon um, for consult neurosurgeon for multiple teams. He owns oh his own. Oh my god, he's a neurosurgeon! What a crazy bastard! And he's he's uh, a weightlifter too. So he's he's jacked oh, and he, yes, <laughs> he's the man. Um, but what we really we under and appreciate and understand, okay, we're trying to take a proactive stance and move forward with what we have currently. I'm not going to wait till something goes wrong. And so when you look at um, what we do at like Resilience Code here, we'll take like I think it's like 50 vials of blood and it's like 560 biomarkers, and people go, oh my gosh, that's insane. But ultimately, it's trying to paint a better picture um, of what you are and what you're made up of. Yeah. And understand to the best of our abilities what's going on. Now, I'm not saying that every single person needs to do that every week, <laughs> but there are aspects um, that we need to make sure we take in consideration. Like you said, the inflammatory aspects of, you know, what's this person's initial inflammatory state? There's an awesome study that looked at um, base level inflammation, and it was two Taekwondo groups. Actually, it's the same group, and they split them high inflammation and low inflammation. Trained them exactly the same. And one group, the high inflammation group, didn't really adapt that well, while the low inflammation group adapted much better. And they're like, oh, well, maybe it's because, right, obviously the stress of exercises caused inflammation. And these guys who are already highly inflamed were only getting back to recover so high, while those who had low inflammatory um, states at the beginning had a larger capacity to adapt. That's why you might see why like NSAIDs, um, things like ibuprofen, yeah. has been shown to help older adults gain muscle mass because older adults typically suffer from severe amounts of chronic inflammation. That's one of the issues with sarcopenia, they believe, is it's an inflammatory issue. And so if you can uh, reduce some of the initial inflammatory states, maybe you can promote an adaptive environment. I'm not saying NSAIDs are good because you basically eat up your whole gut wall and you yeah. put your tendons at risk. It's a whole bunch of other bad things, but it's the concept which I found very interesting. So, sorry, I'll actually answer the question now <laughs> about the light and circadian rhythms. Yeah, go into it there, because I'm all about circadian biology. I'm still um, digging into that bad boy. I am not super well versed in it. Road. I'll be first to admit. I'm not yeah, going to sit yeah. here and pretend that I know the ins and outs of it. Um, but I do understand, you need to appreciate it, right? And so if you're talking with athletes who have to get sympathetically aroused for a 9.30 p.m. basketball game, Right. What is that doing to their system? What is that doing to their internal clock? The light and exposure that they're at inside the stadium, right, is ridiculously uh, counterintuitive to what their internal clock is telling them when it's supposed to be nighttime at 9:30, and ideally they'd be getting ready to fall asleep. Right. That affects, I believe, certain levels of protein synthesis. It affects certain levels of basically cellular activity. Your whole yeah. body is working on a uh, internal clock of circadian rhythm and based on certain times of the day uh, I guess enzymatic activity can change as well as um, basically systems rate of work and I can't sit here and say oh I know the ins and outs of it that's a lot of what I've read and what I've heard so I'm I know enough to be really stupid <laughs> yeah well like so I was like you know you could just turn around and say like well then is there really any is there really any need to worry about this because right it's not healthy but 
sport isn't healthy and this is one aspect of sport isn't healthy the fact that these games are played at this time as well as the actual sporting event in itself isn't the healthiest thing for the human body again going back to like almost looking at this through an evolutionary thing as well like you know fucking all those forces and angles and like you know torques and rotations being put through the body multiple times and in such like uh, acute density patterns if we're looking at density patterns through like scrimmages and training and actual competition games and then the stress hormones that get pumped out like you take all of that stress everything from the psychological to the physical demands and again put that into the density patterns and schemes of some sporting seasons like the body's just like what the fuck is this and these sporting these sports competitions organizations have only been around like some of them have haven't even been around like 67 years like the super bowl has only been around since 1967 i I thought it was was 66 but uh uh, 66 67 season yeah so the first super bowl was 67 i checked it was because i was looking at the results yesterday for some reason i was watching a documentary on uh not a documentary movie on uh ernie davis that guy yeah the the guy who won the first oh, yeah, yeah. The, the first black guy who won the Heisenberg Trophy or whatever or whatever name that trophy is, um. But uh, and I was just watching stuff on American football, um. But like this is what I'm saying, like uh, like organized sport is such a novelty to the system, like and like all of that fucking stress, physical, mental, emotional. Then the environment is being played in, like, you know, again, as you said, they're playing a basketball match, or even, like, fucking Champions League soccer, midweek games, fucking 7.45pm kickoffs, you know, English teams playing Italy teams, like, you know, or whatever, Spanish teams, and it's just like... But it actually it brings me into an area of research that I think I'm going to start looking into for my, potentially my master's thesis is chronotypes chronotypes and, and sporting performance or skill acquisition so like in my mind what i'd like to do is you know test you now subjectively there'd be a bit of subjectivity in this it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on it because you like research uh you know you basically would have two groups pmers and amers or l's and larks getting to perform like some type of skill acquisition in the am and then the same skill acquisition in the pm and then like see the comparisons like see if people who say that they're amers do better in the morning versus the pmers in the morning and vice versa and then what you can do from that is like if you ever had like it depends on the sport but like some sports have games like where their kickoff is like midday and then they have other games where they're like late in the evening and you that might you know influence the decision to play such and such a player because you know that his clock runs better at this certain time like he's more alert for his skill acquisition uh, executions his skill acquisition is better so be interested to see things like that but anyway ranting off there like sport and health just aren't fucking do they live at either ends of the spectrum so I suppose that the point I'm putting to you here is knowing that sort of stuff knowing that listen playing under those lights with those fucking schedules all the, then there's the fucking airplane travel as well all that shit it's just like like do we really need should, should we even bother worrying about it is what I'm trying to so, say so I think yes we need to worry about it but the way we do it is different yeah um, I think a lot of the issues we have in the sports science realm is that we dive into this molecular physiology and then we go, oh my gosh, look at this all. We need to do everything. And it's like, well, <laughs> pump the brakes because we're dealing with humans who are the basketball players, the football players, who don't want to be treated like lab rats, first and foremost. Yeah, so yeah. everything I think we do is if we put a setup together that allows us, and I'm talking from a sports science standpoint, and we talked about this a little earlier before, to delegate based on large um, metrics that are kind of like check engine lights. So again, that's why HRV is so sexy because people, it's an autonomic nervous system, right? If you stub your toe, if you have a concussion, you don't <laughs> eat enough food or you get dehydrated, your HRV goes down. And so there's two great things with that. And one really bad issue. I'll start with the issue first is one, people act too quickly on HRV. 
They mm-hmm. see it and they go, oh my goodness, you shouldn't train today. Or, oh my goodness, I assume I must have given you too much, uh, you know, too many sets of squats yesterday. That does, HRV doesn't give a shit about your squats. (laughs) It's not only hanging out in the weight room. HRV is a systemic um, reflection of your autonomic nervous system. Yeah, yeah. So it needs to be... Your capacity. Yeah, it needs to be looked at um, from that standpoint. And so an HRV metric isn't just for the strength coach. It's possibly for the registered dietitian. It's obviously very connected with um, your psychology. So maybe your sports performance psychologist. Maybe it has something to do with how they sleep. Maybe it has to do with how the coach talks to them. Okay, well, I know it's this check engine light. So as a role as a sports scientist, it is not my job to diagnose this individual with something. It is my role to delegate. So if I understand maybe his HRV, his resting heart rate, these large systemic aspects, and now this is where we start to get into a little bit of inferential biometrics um, and maybe looking at something from like a systemic, sorry, not a systemic, a systems standpoint. So explain, I'll look at how- for, for you going to explain what inferential biometrics mean, you're trying out big terms there and we got listeners that will actually probably know what you're talking about because I've got smart listeners. I see, I, I'm giving you some big ups to my people. But uh, just to <laughs> explain that, explain that inferential So it's biometrics that are inferred. Duh, that's the name. And what that basically means, <laughs> that was an asshole response because I explained inferential yeah. biometrics by saying inferred biometrics. It's like the kid you ask, what does that mean? And they use the word in the definition. Yeah. Um, it's a way to look at your system and your internal physiology without drawing any blood. And a lot of it is subjective. So I'm not directly looking at a system, but I'm making um, an opinion or a decision based on a logical justification on why I selected this. And for example, people pick central nervous system, we'll use that term loosely, for like a hand grip score. They will look at maybe lower body contractile ability through a jump. They might look at um, systemic stress through a cortisol swab, a salivary pH, or some other aspect, maybe like a hair cortisol, which would be an aggregated like monthly long metric. Mm. We use HRV to infer what's going on with your um, autonomic nervous system in conjunction with right, your resting heart rate. I can also make inferences based on your current dietary status. If I know someone is a uh, high-fat, low-carb guy, I like can Dra- make Like in- Drake? Like Drake, your intern? <laughs> yes. So he basically- eat some, eat some carbs, you fucker. <laughs> yeah, right. If I know that, I can infer or make the assumption that, um, again, assumptions are dangerous, but this is why I'm using it to delegate, not to diagnose, yeah, yeah. that he might have an issue with glycogen stores or nutritional status. Um, I can use something like, uh, we use this with a lot of MMA fighters, they'll warm up on a treadmill for four minutes at a given pace. So every day they come in, they'll warm up for four minutes at the same speed, and they have a heart rate monitor on. Mm. I just want to see how their heart rate responds and then how they recover. Because I want to see how does their system get perturbed, right, when we give them a stressor that's going to have some sort of epinephrine response. So typically that speed is roughly 60% of their VO2 max, maybe slightly above. Um, Depends on the individual as well. If that person's going to be more compliant, if they ran slower – 
I guess sometimes I have to bend, but I won't break kind of thing and say, fine, I get it. I'd rather have something than nothing. Yeah. Um, but what I'm looking at there then is how he's responding. But then also when he gets ready for a fight prep, is this what I expect to see? Is this individual getting to the aerobic status that he had last time? And now I make the assumption that I take a winning fight previously. And I say, these are what his metrics look like during this previous win. And that's my model because we're dealing with an N of one and all I can use is a previously successful, uh, like a true. So then I take my model of the current fight prep and I'll say, okay, let's go through this and let's look at it. And I understand that maybe this fight prep is a little different, but I want to see these biometrics or these inferential biometrics trend in a similar direction. So if I know all of a sudden his RSI mod, which should be measured with the force plate, and that's contraction time and flight time, it's a composite score, which is different than the hopping RSI. Um, we get it from a standing vertical jump, is much less. I might be able to make the assumption um, that, hey, maybe his power output is going down because he's having to take a longer time and having to accumulate more time to generate the same impulse. And so I can talk to the strength coach, like, hey, what's going on? oh, this individual actually has to have a larger cut than usual, so we're going heavier on the aerobic side. Mm. Um, and so we actually expect to see that, which is fine, right? Because if I know that's what's expected and that's part of the prep, that's awesome. But if he goes, no, that's not part of it at all, that's not what I wanted to see, then I go, okay, great. Let's, I'll delegate it, obviously, to the coach and be like, hey, this is what's happening. You're the coach. You train him. Maybe you make the decision as to maybe we need to do more power work um, because – his weight is at a good spot, and his um, power development isn't as good as it should be, and that's basically inferring some of the you know muscular qualities. But then we can use, again, like the heart rate response. And I think the heart rate response, I could go on for days, is awesome. Because typically you see in soccer clubs and football Amer American football clubs here is that they all do the same warm-up. Right? Everyone does the same warm-up every day. So how can I make it minimally invasive? Well, let's stick a heart rate monitor on them because a lot of them already have it with their catapult systems. And let's splice that whatever it is, 10-minute warm-up that we have every single day. And let's look at all the athletes' heart rate response, mm. right? Because now it's very minimally invasive. They're not having to stop practice. They're not having to do X, Y, and Z. But typically, the warm-up is always the same, right? We're going to do our standing marches. We're going to do our A skips. We're going to do our build-up runs here. All right, break, go to practice kind of thing. Right? They do the same warm-up, and so now I have a standardized, roughly standardized, period of time that I can look at a heart rate response um, in a way that isn't going to take away from the primary job of the athlete, which is to play the sport, but also can at least give me some insights as to what's going on. So it's kind of a, my, my little bit of a rant of, on uh, some of the how we utilize sports science, and then how do we can look at it from a very confusing standpoint from the molecular side. Like, oh, wow, look at all this. There's crosstalk. There's myokines. There's reactive oxygen species. Oh, my gosh, all this is happening. And then how do we actually take that confusing stuff yeah. and try and get big picture results or big picture indicators? And then, okay, look, this guy has several issues. Cool, I'm going to take him to my doc. Maybe he does need a blood draw at that point. Maybe he does need a more thorough analysis, but for me to make that decision is incorrect, but for me to pass on the information to an individual who's more um, well-versed in the area to make that decision is correct. And at the same time, that doctor doesn't have the, 
have the time period, nor maybe the understanding that I do as to why I'm doing these metrics at the level that he either wants to sit there and look at them, or he's like, you know what, I've got a bunch of other stuff going on. Pass me on the information when it's important. Right? There's a reason why in a uh, military battle or some sort of, heck, you can even look at um, like a symphony. Right? There's a reason why the people who play the trumpet don't understand all the notes that are being played by the cello, but they understand when the cello plays. Yeah. Right? They don't need to know how to play the cello. They need to know, though, <laughs> when they're playing so they can work in conjunction with them. That brings us on to our next sort of topic that we wanted to discuss, which was, you know, you were saying that you kind of disregard this sort of term of, you know, holistic integration to a degree, because like, you think that a lot of people think it's just like everyone just in this one big pile and everyone just like gets, <laughs> gets, gets, gets along and, you know, knows exactly what's going on in everyone's little silo. And you're like, it's kind of, again, it's, it's where, you know, it's a spectrum. Like at one end of the spectrum is everyone just lives in a silo and it's all segregated and no one speaks to anyone, which is a disaster, we know. But it's also not like at the other end where like no one knows where they stand and it's kind of like everyone's a jack of all trades and everyone's kind of standing on everyone's toes. And like, it's kind of more, again, there's this sort of more sort of balanced approach that's in the center of that spectrum where like, you know, everyone kind of speaks the same language. They have the same sort of broad base of knowledge in terms of their foundation. They have a competency in all knowledge of, of interdisciplinary domains, but yet there's that they, you still get these people then who will branch off and specialize. As I said to you, sort of four months online, kind of what James Smith talks about, like with medical school, he's like, you know, all doctors go to general medical school first and then they go off specialize so that they still speak a common language. Same like with uh, engineers, like, so different types of engineers, they can all speak to each other though, because their common language obviously is maths, like, you know, physics and maths. Um, so, and then, you know, same with medicine, then I said everyone goes to general medicine school first, and then they can go off and branch off in their specialties, but yet they have this good, solid foundation where they they can communicate, because they all went through the, the general education system first before they specialize. So, do you want to go into sort of your sort of talk on this area of uh, holistic interdisciplinary, interdisciplinary teams with sports preparation? Yeah, um, I think you said it very well. <laughs> like, Thank you, at, thank you, sir. At times, we think that holistic means everyone's swimming in the same pool kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Everyone's doing the same thing, um, which is almost right, right? But I think it makes it very intimidating to mm -hmm. say something like that, and I don't think it's applicable because I don't need my sport coach to know how to program for a power phase, and I don't need my registered dietitian to know how to draw up a game-winning play, right? That's, <laughs> that's not the point of it. Um, the point is, though, I need to have my registered dietitian, I need to have my strength coach, I need to have my physios all be really good at what they do, at the same time be really good at communicating through a universal language. Yeah. So whether that be, um, hey, I give my physio an athlete and they have this situation going on, let's say a hamstring and they're coming back from, um, let's say a severe hamstring issue. When they leave the physio, and they're ready to go to return to per, um, guess performance training with the strength coach, the strength coach should understand what they have gone through with the physio, right? And they should understand that they're getting them at a certain capacity in the same way the physio understands what the strength coach is expecting. That way, we're not doing more work. We're actually doing less work um, because we don't have the physio trying to do the strength coach job and the strength coach trying to do the physio job because that looks like holistic integration, but that's the furthest thing from holistic integration. That's called 
doing too much work and probably putting too much demand on the athlete. At the same time, the registered dietitian might understand, okay, I know this guy's recovering from an injury, and these are some basic guidelines I give someone for who's recovering for injury. Maybe it's increase in protein, maybe it's collagen, and I have a basic skeletal framework of how I'm going to communicate that to the physio, and then how I'm going to communicate that to the strength conditioning coach, but ultimately, the registered dietitian is the one who's providing the intervention, right? When we think of holistic integration, we think of maybe like everyone providing all these different interventions across different boards. No, there's a reason why there's a sports psychologist and there's a reason why there is a registered dietitian. But there's also also should be an understanding as to what each person does. Like each person should have some level of competency and understanding what the other person is doing, but they don't need to be an expert in it, right? I don't need to be an expert um, American football coach to enjoy watching football. I just need to know how it works and I can enjoy it. And the same way that I might look at a registered dietitian, I need to know how it works so I can enjoy, understand, and communicate, but I don't need to be the one drawing up the macros, the micros, and specific interventions, but I should at least be able to understand why she did that, right? And so when we have, we should think of it as um, each individual to an extent acts as a silo, but that silo has doors and bridges that communicate with other ones, right? There's no business structure where everyone is um, doing everybody's job. There's a reason why there's a CEO, and there's a reason why that CEO has board members that delegate and look at maybe quality control. Another one looks at technological infrastructure, and another one looks at um, marketing. But there's also a reason why they all sit at the table and talk about what's going on And the CEO, who ultimately is the master decision maker, can also communicate to everyone else in the same way. Um, But he can synthesize a lot of the information in a similar fashion that hopefully the sales or the marketing guy can understand that having a poor technological infrastructure is going to affect his ability to communicate the message of their product. Right. And so you don't see this weird hodgepodge holistic, which we at times we think about process anywhere. You don't see it in the cellular environment, right? The cell is a great example. The cell works in unison. It wants to live. In the cell, you have the nucleus, which is kind of the master, the honcho, right? But you also have the endoplasmic reticulum, right? You have the ribosomes, you have the mitochondria, and they all are really good at doing their job, and they know their job very well. But at the same time, they can communicate and relay messages to other organelles within the cell to make sure things go properly. So it's not like the mitochondria needs to all of a sudden do what the endoplasmic reticulum does, right? But they should have the ability to talk and communicate. Um, in the same way, they're not synthesizing like DNA or um, transcribing it in the same way that a nucleus might do it, right? And so My, mitochondria actually does. Uh, I know, I know. I said that. I said that out loud, and I'm like, all the trolls are going to get me now. Yeah, just, I, just, 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 you know, I'll be the first one to troll. I troll them there first. Everyone else can join now. Gosh, you you would, <laughs> you, <laughs> you would. One, one uh, no, the the cell analogy there is is very good. And just one uh, question I have for you is, how though can say I'm a head coach of a team? How can I tell that the nutritionist is actually good, or how can I tell that the physiotherapist that we have is actually good, 
Or how can I tell that the Ooh, Wow, like, great how, question. How how can I tell they are competent? Like how much level how much level of competency do I need to know to know that they're competent at their specialty? Oh, um Because you know yourself, like listen, like I've been in organizations, you've been inside organizations. Most people are hired because of who they know, not what they know. Like you, you walk into those places mm-hmm. and you're just like Okay, and you're you have this job? How? Oh, you're mates. I <laughs> I I think when it's let's say everyone's already hired and we're trying to figure out whether or not someone is competent. Um, I do think there is a process of education um, because it, to assume everyone's competent, everything is a little ridiculous, right? Because mm, someone might not have been exposed to that field. So I think part of this communication line needs to be very refined and simple. For example, let's say I'm collecting HRV, jump height, and this other stuff, and the nutritionist is collecting dietary intake, um, the macronutrients. The communication from the registered dietitian to me needs to be in a language that both of us understand. Right? Does that make sense? So it can't be like the registered dietitian trying to tell me, oh, they're eating these uh, certain vegetables to get this specific micronutrient, and they're you know, eating um, uh, MCT, I want them eat, having these certain chain, short-chain fatty acids because I don't want it to go through the uh, digestive tract in the same way like uh, a long-chain fatty acid might. Um, I don't need to know that, right? And so I think the competency of an individual is highly dependent on their ability to express complicated um, situations in a very simple manner, right? The best guys who are... Uh, the most successful individuals, whether it be in sports, I'm talking about probably more communication-wise, um, and business, are individuals who can express an idea very simply. That's what made Apple super successful, right? You didn't buy an iPhone because of the really good phone. Well, you did because it was a good phone. But it also expressed the idea of Apple itself through how it was made, right? The simplicity of it, the communication of it, the design of it, right? If you're talking to a strength and conditioning coach, and they need to talk to a registered dietitian, a good understanding of, you know, is this competency level there to communicate between disciplines is how simple they can explain it, right? Oh, we're in a power phase, which means they're moving heavy weights really fast, which means they might have more demand on glycogen. So if we could make some adjustments to get more carbs, that'd be wonderful. As opposed to being, well, I'm doing four sets of seven at this specific velocity, right? Where you kind of talk around in a circle. It's like, how can we make the communication very actionable? It doesn't need to be very detailed. It doesn't need to be 20 pages. It can be four sentences, right? Power training, higher, high velocity, heavy weight. They need more carbs. Can we make sure that's getting done? Perfect, right? In the same way, now she understands, okay, power training, polyglycolytic, cool, carbs. And they tell me, Max, this guy is not on a high-carb diet. So maybe power training, because I understand that that now, from if I'm a registered dietitian, relates to, you know, maybe carbohydrate demands. This person needs to go on a higher fat, lower carb diet. Then I can infer, okay, they probably shouldn't do a whole bunch of power training, or maybe their power training needs to be tapered back. So now we have the cross communication between two departments in a very simple way that didn't take 17 pages. Mm-hmm. Very good, very good. So let's say uh, you are put in charge over a uh, professional organization, let's say a sports team, like an NFL team or an AFL team or one of the rugby provinces here in Ireland, a professional rugby team, a big sporting organization, you're the head. 
what would you like to like how would you go about setting up the the system you would like to see put in place you know from 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 that whole sort of if we just want to use that term holistic model like would you uh just going off our discussion so far on like biometric measures w- would you be a, a proponent of of having a focus there on that as well like you know so we, we, we know most sporting organizations now they have the head of performance and then there's the sports medicine staff the coach the sports coaching staff the sports science staff the psychologist the nutritionist the S&C staff and even some now are bringing in skill acquisitionists even in there but I suppose you could lump them in with the sports coaching staff but uh, yeah basically if you were just say right you're in charge there NFL team we'll just put out that just to give it some more context and just to make it or give it more of a reference point what, what, what would you do? So I would start as simple as possible and it depends initially what they've been doing previously, right? We don't get into a cold pool always by jumping in, right? We, we let's, st- we, let, let's, let, let's say it's a brand new slate. Like you're bringing in who you want. Bring in who I want. Why don't you give me free reign? Yeah. Like, so we'll just, 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 <laughs> okay. make it, just, just make it a little bit easier. Yeah. Just make it right, yeah. like you could, you could also and, keep the staff that are there, but we'll just, just say it's a clean blank slate. We're going to assume that, um, we're all rolling, and communicating very well, okay, under this assumption. Okay. I would have some level of pre-participation exam that looks at, I would have blood drawn everybody, right? I would have, before the season starts, I would have that. I would have a post-season blood draw, okay? okay? I want to see changes, and I would want to use that information to understand what issues are going on typically throughout a season, I'm assuming I have a bunch of people, again, and we can communicate this very well. So I'm going to, this is like fantasy land, utopic version. And then there's obviously reality. I would love to have, um, obviously, a psychological um, screen as well at the beginning of the season. And whether that be in some form of uh, a QEEG brain mapping as well, because obviously we're dealing with massive amounts of teams. And I would love to see the idea of doing um, neurofeedback or other forms of biofeedback mm-hmm. without having to have technology there. So maybe it'd be a, a biofeedback skill session. And I would want to then use that as a learning process. And we're making the assumption that we can make um, certain brain scans change through non-technological uh, interventions. Very interesting. Right. So I would group athletes based on brain scans and be like, okay, common issues in conjunction with the actual psychological like intake. Maybe we have anxiety. Maybe we have depression, sleep, blah, blah, blah. Okay, these are my four big stones I can really unturn. Let's work on these training aspects. But then I'd want to map them during, halfway through, and at the end of the season, again, to see temporal changes. Because ultimately what I want to use is I want to have my system become a self-learning system. right? I want to understand what's happening. I have all these Newtonian inputs from the season itself. I want to understand how the system perturbs and changes. And what's the end result at the end of the year? Now, if I know those big issues, then the next year I can step in and go, okay, let's proactively take a stance on these things. Cool. These things got taken care of. These things began to uh, manifest in a certain way. Maybe it was like the anxiety didn't get better or certain other aspects of it. Okay, let's find a way to then implement that in the next year. So it becomes the self-learning organism. And that also happens with the training interventions as well. So if I'm doing training, I pick, obviously, specific key performance indicators. Maybe, in my opinion, um, isometric, uh, hamstring strength, jump height, power development, and top velocity are very important, right? Okay, cool. Let's understand just those four metrics and how they change throughout the year. Let's not dive into 500, right? 
unless I have an awesome AI analytical backbone, which is um, dumping different data streams into a data lake and I'm running some detailed big data on it um, because I'm pouring in ridiculous amounts of information from, again, very compliant athletes in this imaginative <laughs> in this imagination land. Um, but then again, right, in the reality, maybe we don't get all that stuff. I just get a jump height and I get someone's um, you know, resting heart rate and I get their blood pressure uh, twice a week. Okay. Right. So it's like, we're trying to figure out how we make it work. And the utopic realm is what we start with. What ideally do we want now? What can we actually practically intervene with? So that's why I thought in my mind with the, the, the brain scanning and the physical, um, you know, the PPE of maybe an inflammatory screen, whether it be a survey or blood markers, and then maybe it'd be a psychological intake. So we can start to look at groups and common trends and address those common trends. And once we feel like we have an ability to cover those common trends um, that are coming up, we then tackle another area, right? So we don't take on so much water, we drown the first time we do it. With with the blood draw pre and post season, like, what, why are you want? You just want to see what what a season of just competition does. Yeah, I would. So I'd be very interested and so, actually. So sorry, for poor answers. Like, so what what are you going to do with that information? Is really what I'm trying to ask as well. So I would like to see common decreases in whether it be um, like, oh, this person typically has a rise in IL-6 or these people typically have a decrement um, in like neurotransmitter aspects. Um, maybe but are this... You, are you, are you going to be sorry to interrupt again? Are you just going to take one post and one pre? Because like, that's fuck all that then, as you know. Like, so you're going to like, it's going no, to be 20, 20. Are you going to be continuously taking their blood throughout the year so, so you're getting a bigger data set? Ideally utopic i would take that stuff all the time <laughs> yeah, yeah, i would yeah, take yeah. as much as i could right i kind of when i said utopic at times i put in realistic aspects um yeah. and if in a utopic world i'd be blood drawn i mean i would know their genes i would yeah. know um, what certain snips they might have what are some epigenetic predispositions that might be going on um for that individual you know what are like heavy metal toxicity again these are all things that are parallels with health and then from the performance side, it's like, okay, what's their performance profile? But in all reality, all of a sudden, if each department is collecting five or six metrics, like a psychological, a nutritional, yeah. we get we drowned in metrics, right? It's like 85 metrics is how do you act on it? Um, and well, unless if, you, if it's if it's delegated out, it, it might be controlled. I suppose it's just a question of like. You know, why are we doing this? And if there is a good reason, okay, can it be applied? And if it's applicable, then what are we going to do with it? You know, that kind of way. That's so the just, thing. Like, what are, are we, we going to do with it? That's the big... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like, the, well, and even before that, I was like, does it matter too? Because again, like, I know like if James is this to this, this is just going back to like, the, we were speaking around about like playing basketball under 9.30 at night and we know it's fucking shy for you. So like, it's like, do we even need to worry about it now? Because it's just like... It's just like, that's a trade-off we're going to have to make, so let's not even worry about it. Let's just fucking get, put on your fucking ankle braces and let's go. Well, I don't think the athlete needs to worry about it. So, yeah. I, like, right, the athlete do their job, and again, as minimally invasive as we can do this, but from a healthcare standpoint, right, to be um, ignoring it would be ignorant, right? It'd be like, mm -hmm. the, I know it's bad, but I'm just going to ignore it because everyone has to do it. Well, that's... <laughs> Yeah, I, I know, know I, that's kind of, that's kind of yeah. silly, right? I know, I know, um, not working out's bad, but you know, I'm just going to ignore it and let people be obese or I can try and find a way, Hey, these are common trends that we see nutrient wise that get depleted, right? These are certain issues we have. 
maybe these specific interventions will help drive a better uh, end product. Because ultimately, if you take the hypothesis model, and this is what happens with um, like too much data collection, if we say, we're collecting this for this reason, we're gonna provide this intervention assuming this will happen, if I fail, I learn, right? Yeah. And so we at least understand, like failure is not a learning thing, understanding why you failed is learning, right? There's nothing innately special about failure. I can see you too in the future where it's funny, in Matthew Walker's book, he spoke about this CAO in a company and he actually paid his employees more if they hit their sleep metrics. So like I'd say in sports performance, because there is that big thing in sports performance right now where like, you know, like a lot of the athletes are like, you're, they don't want to do these metrics because they think it's encroaching in, into their privacy, you know, like, so like tracking their sleep, they're like, you don't need to know what I'm doing inside of practice, like, you know, but it'll probably go away where like, it'll be in their contracts, like, you'll get this like $10,000 bonus if you, if you give us your metrics or if you, you know, if you do your HRV, <laughs> you know, and you sell it to them in a way like, listen, it's for your own good and, and benefit and look, you're getting a monetary reward for it if you don't and stuff like that, like, but it, it is a... It is a tricky question, though, just for I speak on that sort of privacy, you know, versus data collection thing as well. I do understand where some players are coming from. Like, it's it almost be best to have like a private model handle it that isn't that you trust, but wouldn't have direct communication, right? Like, I'm I'm trying to envision a way that the players would be like, okay, I understand my information secure and isn't going to affect my like decision making, my career or my like my payroll because if this guy's like not sleeping, I'm not going to give him a bonus or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so the, it, the one, the one good example, sorry to cut across again, just because uh, I think this might help you make your point that you're about to make. The one good example too is from um, Jeremy Koenig, the CEO of Alenogen, like, and he's like, you know, in terms of like who owns the information and like, you know, the privacy of the information, like he's like, if you do a GNA, uh, GNA, GNA, DNA, if you do a DNA, because I was thinking GNA, genetics, I, I was thinking of <laughs> genetics and DNA. And After your DNA mitochondria uh, rebuttal, I need to catch you, catch you slipping uh, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm getting dehydrated here. My set, my cells are getting dehydrated. Uh, but I'm, my mitochondria is not functioning properly with APT production. But anyway, go take some CoQ10. Yeah, so I actually have CoQ10 in my cabinet there. I, I take that when I go traveling. Um, but uh, Jeremy was saying that let's say you have an athlete and you do a, a genetic a profile on them. He doesn't. He hates the term genetic testing. He's like, we're not testing you. It's not. It's not pass or fail. Uh, you do genetic profile and it shows up like they they are a, a, they have a predisposition for a ligament injury. So like a you know an ACL rupture, we'll say like or Achilles tendonopathy, whatever. Just something to do with tendons or ligaments that they 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 have a. It shows that they have a a predisposition to maybe getting injured. And it's like, well, what if that information gets to a team that wants to draft them? And they, you know, oh, my goodness. Like, do you know what I mean? So, like, that's what he was coming at. It. So, I understand that that's kind of like in terms of like who owns the information, how much should be known, that kind of way, you know? That's the huge issue is the players need to have a facility they can go to that is, at least in the current model, that is separate from the financial decision makers so they can be taken care of in a fashion that they're afraid to be taken care of um, in that organization because they're worried that the information might lead to um, some financial issues, right? So they need to have some sort of facility, and this is um, a place that they can go to, get that holistic health care, get that genetic mapping, right? Find out what's needed for them, but that information, unless they sign off on it, shouldn't be spread, right? And they need to have some sort of a safe haven where they can seek out these 
aspects of health and wellness because ultimately they're doing it for their own benefit. But at the same time, they're doing something for their best interest. All of a sudden the team finds out and then it's like, oh no, like we're not going to sign you because you decided to understand your body better. Like <laughs> that's kind of like counterintuitive, but that's how it works. So having that safe haven is something that um, obviously we seek out to uh, provide, but um, it's something that needs to be more relevant. Just going back to this, like, you, you know, this sort of utopia model of a, a holistic um, interdisciplinary, interdisciplinary team. Like, going back to the example I used that I got from James Smith in terms of, like, you know, medical school and then you go off and specialize. Do, do you think, or, I don't know, I don't, I'm not really asking do you foresee, because I, I suppose I don't really foresee it in the immediate future, but... Like to me, like that would be a far more optimal model in that, like you know, basically you 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 not that basically at undergrad level you would get rid of like physiotherapy, nutrition, psychology, all that stuff, and it would just be sports preparation, and then the nutrition and physiotherapy and sports psychology and sport and skill acquisition and sports coaching would be the specialties that branch off sports preparation, like medicine. Do you know what I mean? That will that will never be a thing until the financial pay is equal to medicine. Yeah. But like, that's, that's, <laughs> that's what it comes down to, right? Why yeah, would I yeah. go to school like a doctor and get paid not like a doctor? <laughs> mm-hmm. True enough. Yeah, well, the money in fucking uh, pro sports is huge, but not for the people who actually are the the the, the, the people working in those areas. The players get paid a lot, unless like you're fucking what's his name there in Alabama? He's getting paid half a million. Fucking uh, Cochran, Scott Cochran. Yeah, He's good money. 500. 525 grand. yeah like it's funny though like is in like you're like he's on 525,000 or something like that or 575 something like that he's over half a million and then you're like Nick Saban's on 11 million <laughs> well that's the thing right you look at like yeah, okay on 11 million. what the fuck he has 500,000 right but how much does a really good surgeon make or how much does an average surgeon make right know, if the average if the average payroll is $300,000 for a strength conditioning coach I see the education changing but until yeah. the investment meets the outcome, right? Like, what's your return on? Oh, I'm going to go to school for seven years to become a uh, strength conditioning coach. That in, isn't getting paid in, like that. In terms, then, of speaking a common language, though, like again, like if I'm an engineer, like we'll speak traumatic and physical. Like James in the in the governing dynamics of coaching, he's like the common language should be movement because he's like movement is not really connects all of those inter interdisciplinary domains together. Like I suppose the first thing you think of there is well nutrition and movement, but then I suppose if you broke nutrition all the way down into like physics, it really is about like because physics is just about because you know if we went biology back to chemistry back to physics. And then, you know, and then obviously maths underpins physics, but physics is all about really force and motion and movement. So really it is all about movement. But like, what would be your common language? And like James says, it's, it's everyone should have the common language of movement in these inter- in interdis- interdisciplinary teams. I, I, I see uh, like molecular physiology or some sort of physiology yeah, being the yeah, backbone. You, yeah, you said that, yeah. So, but that, that's what I mean though. It, that's what I'm kind of getting at too. If it was, you know, everyone went to like, it was a sports preparation degree first and then you specialize. But I get where you're, you know, I, I completely understand where you're coming from in terms of like the monetary things. Like why would I do that if, you know, if I fucking not getting paid like a doctor, I might as well just go become a doctor. Yeah, we live like in a, it's, it's a free market driven model, right? Um, no one's are you, guaranteed. Are you, are you reading a lot of economic stuff lately? Because you're coming <laughs> out of this, I think that's been the fifth time today. You said it's the first time on the, on the interview, but before we hopped on, you're like, free market this, free market. And I was like, this guy's been reading all about fucking capitalism. <laughs> you read like Marx's books and like capitalism or what? He's on a big the fucking Invisible like, hand, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, 
But I mean, it, it's really true, right? Why is there innovation in um, certain areas of technology like watches and cell phones that have taken off in the past like four years? But the innovation of strength conditioning equipment has, I mean, I'm not sure how much more innovative you can get, but I'm not sure if there's even money being poured into the innovation of strength conditioning equipment. Right. Yeah, is but or- again, look at look look at the grand scheme of life. I had this conversation with fucking Brendan Egan and DCU the other You don't know Brendan, but some of the Irish listeners would. Brendan is like, a, he's he's the head sports physiologist up in um, ex- exercise physiology, sport and exercise physiology in Dublin City University. Dublin City University would be the top, along with UL University Limerick, top two colleges when it comes to sports science in Ireland. But uh, we were having this conversation that, like, you know, if you have money for two grants and one grant is, like, a fucking strength and conditioning study about, like, vertical jump and the other one's about cancer, it's like, I know where that money's going. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. Um, that's why, like, the Soviet literature and the Soviet research was so, so detailed. Good. Because so they, good. They, that was their way to show the world that we're going to kick your ass, right? Yeah, they, but the, they, but the, national the, shit, the shit they could get away with, though, that was a... That was like, even though it was still awful, it was like, kind of was a, it's like that Louis C.K. joke where he's like, you know, like, some awful things in the world led to like some of the greatest things ever. Like he's like, slavery kind of like led to the pyramids, you know, and all this. And he's like, you know, it also led to like, you know, the the train, like the train tracks around the United States. Like, you know, he's just like these awful things. And he's just like, they kind of led to like monumental things being built. Well, because that's like, you see like, and the U.S. we have all these mouse models, right? Rat models, and they kind of just said screw it and went straight to the human model, uh, <laughs> which they, there's like stories like they did studies where they put gold electrodes on people's brains while they were alive and had them walk around. Oh man! Like that's not um, from a humanitarian standpoint, that's not okay. But um, you can see from the scientific side why they got so much information. Uh. Before we move off that as well, uh, I heard Chad Wesley Smith say this in a podcast too, and I was also speaking to uh, Victoria Feltner. At, she was at this conference over here in Ireland. She, she does a lot with female um, female like health, hormones, physiology, but she's doing a, a, a PhD in um, performance um, performance enhancement drugs, uh, PEDs, with females and like seeing what it basically does to their fucking whole physiology. But she was te- she also said this as well, that she was digging up some old East German, German literature, and then Chad said he heard this through the grapevine with the Russians, and I've heard this from Chinese literature, or, like I've heard that the Chinese, unless you haven't read Chinese literature, can, can barely fucking read English, let alone fucking Mandarin. But, uh, but I heard that, anyway, they used to impregnate the females and let them train like fuck for the first trimester something to do like they got like some massive hormonal advantage this could be complete horseshit but it's just saying that if this is true it just shows you the, the lengths they go through so they used to impregnate them for the first three months trimester and then get them to abort and like that used to like give them some like magical like that first three month trimester give them like some magical time of training because of the hormone response apparently but if that is the lens they went through man that is just fucking outrageous good lord yeah, you wonder. Come here before we wrap up here. Um, is there any sort of technologies that are that are on the way or that you foresee will be on the way that will be game changers in sports performance? And just one thing on that is, I was just going for a walk there today myself, and just because I've been studying, um, I'm studying medical physiology textbook there at Bombs and, and in the chapter there about sensory systems, and I was big into the sensory systems there over the last year. Myself and Joel did a good podcast on that, and his one. I'm just getting on my podcast actually. But, uh, you know, and it just made me, you know, remember or rethink, like, you know, the brain, the brain, the brain. And I was like, there's so much probably untapped potential with the brain that we haven't even, like, started to 
to like look into yet and like like I was just even thinking I don't I, I know some st- uh, there probably is studies out there that have looked at this or there is there probably is some literature on this but like even like have we even like really looked at like you know electrically like stimulating the brain like while we perform movement like you know to get more output like I could foresee like someone like it'll be like people are going to be doing squats and deadlifts or whatever fucking exercise I'm not, I'm not getting into an exercise debate whatever split squats whatever whatever exercise you want to use to stimulate the muscles but like you're you're simultaneously like there's electrodes in your brain and it's like stimulating it so you can put out more force output like so you can like dampen down like basically neurogenic inhibition or, or uh, neural inhibition so you can put out more force like shit like that like is there any like mass shit like that that you've heard of or is there anything oh. you're, you're, you're even thinking of um I've not heard anything like that um, but but I, but, but I, I know I know you haven't. But like, does that make sense? That make I sense? think like, one of the things stimulate. that would be cool would be to like have a skull cap on your head, yeah. and yeah. it would be a portable QEEG, and yeah. so you could see brainwave um, regulation. Yeah, screen, oh yeah. Like yeah. during during like a skill acquisition, versus like a sporting movement versus an actual yeah. like squatting yeah. movement. And so now you start to work on. The central nervous system, like yes. motor connection, so it's well, transferability. That, that, that that's an area now. That's that. I mean, James Smith was he he kind of made me think about that in terms of like one and and this this is probably why we or a lot of coaches completely biased towards quantitative measures. You know, like because they're easy to measure. You know, like your squat and your deadlift and your bench, your bar clean, your jump, blah blah blah. They went from this to this because it's easy to measure. It's quantitative, whereas you know, it's very hard to quantify if your skill acquisition in your sport-specific skill has gotten better for, like, a number of reasons. First, the environment, your performance is always changing. But it's, like, so basically, like, what people call tactical preparation, the perception and the cognitive aspects of, like, decision-making, like, have those improved? Do we know? Because the problem is we can't actually measure learning. We can only infer that learning has happened mm-hmm. through performance. So, yeah, that, that's... It's trying to come up with some technology that can actually measure that. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is by actually probably objectively looking at, like, physiology or physical structures or, like, you know, actually what is happening in the brain at that moment in terms of, like, neurons and... Yeah, imagine and if you had that camp on now... And you're reading a paper, and it can tell you now when you're reading a paper what points you're not going to remember because you're spacing off, <laughs> right? Because like beep, 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 get back, <laughs> lock back in, and so now you teach your brain Fucking from a, an auto-regulated that's, standpoint of how to learn more effectively and efficiently. I tell you what, that'll be going off and off a lot with me. So what? Oh fuck! <laughs> but that's what I mean. That is something I don't ever. Maybe it gets made. I don't know. Maybe. Elon Musk is gonna make something that can stick in my brain. Yeah, and here, one thing, one thing I will say to you, one thing I will say to you, right? Like we talk like this, and yet it fascinates me when we talk about stuff like all the stuff we spoke about. Like even in my own brain, and probably your own brain, but a lot of people have listened. Like a lot of stuff that we talk about, they're gonna shut down immediately. Like ah, like you're making things too complicated. Let's talk about inflammation and circadian rhythms and all these measurements and bloods and blah 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 blah. Bollocks, just like it's too complicated. You know the usual shy. And it's like, hold on a second, hold on a second. If I said to you in 1900 here, we're gonna be in the, we're gonna be on the moon in 70 years, you'd be like, get the fuck. Even if I said to you, we're gonna have transatlantic flight by the 30s in 30 yeah. years time, you'd be like, get the fuck out of here. Do you know what I mean? Like, or like even in, even in the 80s, if you said to someone, see this thing called the internet, it is gonna be everywhere in 20 years. I mean, everywhere. 
Or like, you know, even like, you go back to like the late 80s with Say by the Bell was out with Zach. And remember the cell phone, they had the big fucking block, it was like a stereo. And if you'd said it to someone back then, you know, like, th- see that cell phone? That's going to be that size in 20 years. That size. It's going to be tiny. Like, people would be like, oh, get the fuck out of here. But so, like, what I'm trying to say is that even though, like, there's still that part of us that's like, ah, oh, that's not possible. We're very pessimistic. Like, if we really look back at, like, history, we're like, actually, like, things got invented, like, really what? quickly. So, okay, the no um no good idea has ever come from a pessimistic view. Like no innovative innovative idea has come from doubting. Right? You don't yeah. be like, "Oh, I'm going to make something. That ain't going to work," right? Cuz well, it could be it could be a drive motivator to the person, you know? Well, I, mean? I guess, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's it's so fu- it's so funny because Pat Davis is as funny one of the funniest ever. He goes to me, um, I do a lot of things in my life purely out of spite. <laughs> I was like, touche, sir, touche. No, it's 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 um, we we like to talk about not talk about these things because it kind of scares us, right? It's like, yeah, oh my yeah, gosh, exactly. like, yeah. I think the most dangerous person is the person who knows what they don't know. Right, and so Dunning Kruger, man, Dunning Kruger, and we've we've been through. Well, I've been through. I'd say you've been through too. You know that where you you're a newbie and you're like, I don't know much, and then you learn a little bit. You're like, I know everything, and then like you learn more about your own ignorance, and you're like, oh fuck. Because if you if you know what you don't know, you can now develop and seek out ways to find out what you don't know. So like, that's what I thought. I listened to guys like um. I don't know, like I just listened to the Joe Rogan podcast we talked about earlier with Elon Musk, yeah, and like yeah, yeah. you can you can understand like when that guy talks, like he knows what he doesn't know, but then he's gonna find a way to know that and then build it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you're like, exactly. So uh, it's that's what my issues too is like you hear the strength conditioning field, oh, you know that's too confusing, or you're making it too complicated, or you're you're doing this or you're doing that, and it's like, well, am I? Is it really too complicated? Like. Or does it just seem too complicated at the moment because you haven't tried it? Just like how maybe that sushi seemed pretty scary before you ate it. Like, <laughs> like yeah, it, yeah, it's 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 an uncertainty thing too. And plus the other thing too is that having to like sit down and think hard is very it, it puts people into a threat response too. So they want to shut it down straight away because it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to like actually have to sit down, focus, and critically think. And the other thing too is usually those coaches are usually the the fucking what what is it that uh, uh, James Hoffman calls him? Coach Coach Derp. He calls him Coach Derps. Coach Derp. They're just like that. Shout squat bench. Run, run up steps because uh, just suffer, suffer, suffer. And it's all like you know uh, none of that stuff matters. Whereas like when you get like more your sort of like the intellectual me head, they're like oh that that is a good point. That's quite a good point. You know, <laughs> but they still like to lift and work hard. You know, it's like those those guys are kind of they'll be more the less pessimistic, more optimistic guys that will probably drive the whole ship forward. Yeah, no, it's uh, definitely. Um... Wherever you are in any field, there's going to be people who resist change and people who accept change. And sometimes it's the people in the middle who get it the best because they're not the ones who jump off the cliff without <laughs> without anything on the bottom. But they're also the ones who know how to cross the bridge to get to the other side. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. I respect both. It's- I don't really respect the uh, the the hanging on to dear life for old ways. Um, yeah. Because I feel like that is just a way to pigeonhole yourself and others. Um, and a group think mentality that doesn't really benefit any innovation. If we if we were stuck in the old ways, we'd still be in horses. Oh, like I say this all the time too. Like, listen, listen. It's like it's like nearly everything. Most things are on a spectrum. If if someone is at either ends of extreme of, of a spectrum, you need to be very very careful when you're listening to them. 
or taking any information from them. Uh, like like Dan Fath is a lovely slide, and it's all like everything lives on a spectrum. He has this lovely spectrum slide, and like uh, most things are living in that grey area. You know what I mean? But uh, like. What I was going to say here too is that you get those old school coaches, like, you know, old coaches, and they're like, I see young coaches nowadays, and they're all on the technology, and blah, blah, blah. And you're just like, you're like, okay, I, I get where you're coming from. All right, I get where you're going to, you're going to spiel on about it's about human relationships and not looking through a screen, and blah, blah, blah. But like, they completely go to the other end of the, the extreme. You, know, you don't need any of that. But it's just like, Okay, like, if that was our fucking mindset, we'd still be in a fucking cave, like, trying to spark rocks together, you know what I mean? It's, you know, and it's like people are like, oh, Facebook's terrible, it's ruining the world, and Twitter's terrible, it's like, ruining the world. It's like, whoa, 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 like, let's hold on here. Now. Like, the expansion of knowledge because of things like the internet and Facebook and Twitter and all that, like, they're great, but do they have, they're, they're double-edged sword, like, you know what I mean? And it's also up to the person to take individual responsibility. Like, you get people, oh, Facebook makes people lazy and procrastinate. It's like, no, it just makes them lazy if they decide to be lazy and procrastinate and be on the yeah. same thing. There's, way, there's ways, like, it's it's like that, that documentary, Fathead, where, you remember where Super Size Me came out and your man's like, he had all the McDonald's and like, the whole, like, oh, McDonald's is killing people. And it's like, no, no, people who choose to eat McDonald's are killing themselves. Like, yeah. as in Fathead, in Fathead, right, this is great, I love that fucking uh, Tom Norton, he's a comedian. So what he done was, got his blood taken before this experiment, ate McDonald's for uh, 30 days, but what he did was, he kept it within his caloric needs and he ate mostly a higher fat, low carb, low sugar diet. And then retook his blood 30 days later and all his biomarkers were better. But at the start of the movie, right, he goes, ah, it's funny, I, he's a really funny voice. He goes, I stood outside McDonald's for 20 minutes or whatever it was, 30 minutes. And he's like, funny enough, nobody forced me inside. <laughs> you know, just to say, you know what I mean? Like, so, but going back to the thing with the, the old the old, the old school strength coaches, one, you're right, it's, it's, it's a... The reason why some coaches are resistant to change is purely because of uncertainty. I mean, uncertainty, according to Tony Robbins in his book, is the highest form of stress, which is funny because it's, you know what, the second highest form of stress to a human being is too much certainty. So it's like the fucking paradox in training, like specificity versus variation. Da, da, da. Uh, too much specificity not good too much variation definitely not good again spectrums people spectrums like life just lives on a fucking spectrum it's like that answer the answer to most things in life as you know is it depends I need <laughs> co- I need more context but you know people don't get famous with context you need to like have these like just like fucking really like just like out there black and white statements you know look at the Nazis look what they did they're just like they did black and white statements that worked for them and then it didn't because we found out that they were psychopaths uh, but fucking uh but yeah, go back to the old school coaches where they rant on like that, and it's just like, listen, I I understand where you're coming from, but like, don't like throw the baby out with the bathwater. So my thing is, I got two things. One, um, anyone who gives an opinion without a solution is called being an asshole. Oh, right? absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and you took the word I'm out as I say they're an asshole. I always said it. What's your solution? What's right. your solution? It's easy to point out problems. It's hard to fix things. And my second thing is never believe anyone. Don't. Yep. But yep. Th- there's, a, there's a side to that. It's you have to not believe them, but also you have to prove them wrong. Right? Because not believing them is really in easy. A, in a respectful way, too. Because that no, goes back okay, to... Okay, so what, yeah, yeah. Let, me, let, me, let me finish that. Yeah, I mean, go prove, ahead, go ahead. attempt to prove them wrong. Right? Not like verbally, like, hey, you're wrong. But it's more like, okay, I listen to you. I'm going to go read the literature I'm going to go make my own opinion, and maybe our opinions do or don't line up. But what that's doing is that, like the opinion without a solution, right? 
don't believe them. That's cool. But if you don't believe anyone, then you're just being ignorant asshole because you're not bothering to even open your mind to listen to people. And then you're not even doing your due diligence to look it up. But if you don't believe them and then you go and try and prove them wrong through the literature and all of a sudden they're correct, great. That's awesome. You learned the context from which they spoke because that's my biggest, biggest pet peeve. You go to all these presentations, you hear these brilliant people talk, right? And one sentence from an individual who's highly intelligent is based on years of context, right? So for me to now go regurgitate that sentence that he said without the contextual relevance that he's built it upon is very dangerous, right? So the idea of, okay, I hear that sentence, I don't believe you, I'm gonna go try and build the same context that you have, so now when I speak on it, I can speak on it with enough detail and breadth that I can provide enough information outside of a cherry-picked contextual quote that has no relevance to me. Yeah, perfect, man. And it's uh, like, uh, that resonates with me so much because like the one the one message I would want any human being to ever take away from an interaction with me is just to think for themselves, is to respectfully, is to, to, to question everything in a respectful manner. Like, do not blindly believe what anyone ever tells you. Always have enough courage to come to your own conclusions on everything. And again, as I said, do it in a, you know, do it in a respectful manner rather than a spiteful manner because a spiteful manner is done because it's coming from a place of insecurity. It goes back to this whole thing mm-hmm. of self-worth, self-worth. And this this also adds in then to what you spoke about before speaking about uh, don't believe anything, which is have a solution. The reason why people complain and don't solution, again, it goes back to this thing of self-worth. They're like, I don't know what, what I want to do with my life. I don't really know who I am, where I fit in in this universe. So what I'm going to do subconsciously, like I, I don't really know why I do this, but subconsciously what I'm going to do is I'm going to complain and moan and just like give these points of views where I really don't have any background knowledge on it. But I just want to, I just want to put a point of view out there to say my piece so that it makes me feel like I have some self-worth in the universe and that I, I've justified my life here on Earth. You know, so, uh, yeah, it's uh, And again, people aren't saying that in their brain, but subconsciously that's what it is. It's like, you know, I, I need to justify my existence, so I'm just gonna just say this and like just because it's 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 my opinion and I have a right to it. Damn it! Yeah. It's like, it's uh... like uh, <laughs> mo- but again, and then when you when you pull them up over, it, they're so emotional. They're not they're not an objective mindset. They're like, rrr, rrr, and it's just like, what's your solution? And then they get real pissed off with that. And then it's just like, see, and also going going to the thing too of like thinking for yourself. Thinking for yourself, as I said earlier on, is hard. Like critical thinking is hard. So most people just like to procrastinate and they. Like, that's why, like, you ever try and sit down with your parents, well, this is my parents, and say, like, have you ever thought about, like, what life is about? And they're just like, no, not really. And they're just like, what do you think about a daily basis? And they're like, don't really know. And it's just like, oh, my God, what is going on in your mind? <laughs> it's just yeah. like, they, they, it's just, people don't want to talk about that. Like, when you, when you start talking about, like, things like, you know, you know, how about instead of, like, you know, war we think about we get all those people and resources and all the energy we put towards, like, fucking trying to, like, kill each other and try and ask the question of, why we are the way we are, like try to understand each other rather than trying to be like, you, I don't like you. It's just like, why don't we ask why you don't like you? I oh, was yeah, you. I was lucky enough question. to grow up in a unique environment. I'm, I'm one of the few people who I can say that I was grown up with big on big data. Um, my uh, nice. my dad is, uh, he's with- A drug dealer. <laughs> he's a- the CTO of Hitachi Vanguard now, I think. He's running their analytics division for big data. Ah, for fuck's sake. What is that? That sounds like, sounds like he some was, sort of like... He was with uh, Dell uh, EMC for a while, their data analytics platform. Wow. Um, and so 
He's actually. So you're, uh, ri- you're rich. You're a white rich. Kid no, you're no. To. He got it recently. Actually, he just got the job. Uh, I think with Hitachi two years ago. But I am not going to deny that I was obviously growing up in a nice background. Right. I grew up in Palo Alto, mm-hmm. California, and I'm not going to sit here and defend that I grew up in a hardship because I didn't. I was. But but, that, but, but uh, that, that that doesn't mean though that 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 was necessarily. You know that that that's gonna lead to you having a better quality of life or outlook in life because like just before you finish there too, like it all comes down to perception of environment. Like Tony Robbins did this great thing one time where like he was talking to this girl and he was like, "Tell me about your upbringing." And she's like, "Oh, my upbringing was great. You know, everything I wanted." And he goes, "Tell me about your relationship with your dad. Was he great to you?" And she's like, "Yeah, my dad's great." And he's like, "Treat you like a princess." She's like, "Yeah, everything I wanted I got." And he goes, "Do you realize your dad fucking ruined you?" <laughs> Like that that upbringing is just as detrimental to her than than say a guy brought up in some fucking crack house who got the shit out of him growing up, and like was physically abused, because like she, like nothing's ever gonna be good enough in her life now. Do you know her, the bar is set so high for her like like he the dad ruined her like she had no adversity and like no character building in her life, whereas you get someone from like that. So it goes back to perspective. People think oh the guy fucking from the rough neighborhood oh poor woe him. It's like. Not, not, not if he turns that into a fucking an advantage. Like, so Tony Robbins had a terrible upbringing. He says, I'd never think it back because it made me the man that I am right now in this moment in time. Whereas he's like, if I grew up maybe rich and privileged, I mightn't be Tony Robbins all and no one would know me. So it all comes down to perception. I think this is the common theme you kind of brought up is that whether you're looking at upbringings or someone's view on strength conditioning, it's always about how you perceive it, how you act upon it, um, mm. and then what you do to go forward, right? Whether it was a poor upbringing, an excellent upbringing, by constantly living in the past one way or the other, um, the moving forward aspect, right, whether it be old school coach, new school coach, it's mm-hmm. always finding a path that um, you you seem to be more beneficial, having the open and mindset to receive such information, yeah. and then willing to... Uh, be vulnerable to be wrong and learn, right? Mm. So there's an excellent uh, thing where I have a younger sister who is graduating college in two years, and it's I used to do this with my interns, actually. This is We have Iowa State, and um, the interns would finish with their um, teaching, and then I'd line them up, and I'd say, who am I going to hire? It's like a long silence. I said, well, you all have the same degree, like, who am I, I going to hire? Very quiet. And I said, well, like, I'm not hiring anyone. Don't worry. Like, but I, I <laughs> like, don't, don't you're, freak you're out. All, you're, all, you're all fired. Uh, no, this was in some school. So, like, they obviously would go on to their next thing. Um, but my thing was, like, I have 350 kids I've seen with the same exact degree. Right? It's not the degree that makes a difference. Right? It's you that makes a difference. Mm. How are you in the next three years going to differentiate yourself from someone else? What are you going to do today that might not manifest itself until four years down the road, but by the time you have that manifestation, the guy who hadn't done it, you're four years ahead. Yeah. Four years, right? So if you talk about, like, someone's like, oh, Max, why'd you make Instagram? Why'd you make blog posts? why do you do this and that? And it's like, it didn't happen, like, in one day. It's not like all of a sudden people started following me. It's like I made stuff, and every post I made I knew was one more post than someone else who wasn't doing it, right? And so if I have that little slight edge aggregated gains every single day, whether it be intellectually, I'm going to read 10 pages a day. Here's something that will blow your mind. If you read 10 pages a day, that's 360 pages in a year, right? Is that 
Sorry, no, 3,600. 3, 3, 3, 3,600. I'm not smart. Uh, I'm not a mathematician. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. 3,600 pages, right? <laughs> right, that's 10 roughly 350-page books. Yeah. Right? If you do that for four years, that is more books than you will ever read, and that's more information you'll ever get from college. Yeah. I'd be willing uh, to bet. Patrick Ward said that to me about textbooks. He was like, I think he said he he read five pages of a textbook in the morning, five uh, pages in the evening, so he's like ten a day. And he's like, in like four or five years, he's like, I've read uh, like twenty textbooks cover to cover. Like, good thing he's not reading three hundred and sixty pages in a year. He wouldn't go far. Yeah. Well, Patrick Ward is very fucking well read. I actually, uh, I actually have seen that man's desk at the Seattle Seahawks and. His reading is, it's not your everyday reading. It's like these books and fucking statistics and probability outcomes. Because it's so funny because he works as a sports scientist at the Seahawks. And like, you know, their whole thing is, you know, they use fucking like inferential statistics and all that. Like looking back at like fucking years of data of like games they played and like, oh, it's just mad shit they're into. But anyway, he, he is a fucking, he's a deep thinker. Smart but, man. Uh, oh yeah. And he's a fucking gent as well. But uh like I said this on so many podcasts before, like when it, when when it comes to understanding human behavior, um, like you know, and I always mention these these three gentlemen, so Jock Fresco, Joseph Chilton Pierce, and uh, Bruce Lipton, like you know, those three gentlemen, their writings, and uh, well, more so, I read the writings of Chilton Pierce and Lipton, and with Jock Fresco, just watched a shit ton of interviews with him. But uh, like those three gentlemen, re- really me really made me appreciate, uh, you know, that everyone and everything is. The way the way they are for a reason, and um, you know, like Lipton was like the first person to really introduce me to epigenetics, you know, how the environment can shape an organism, and then like, you know, the the one thing that really separates humans from other sort of animals and species is that, okay, while the environment dictates an organism's expression, you know, it's the, it's the organism's interaction with its environment, and then the thing with humans is we can perceive our environment, you know, we can perceive that stimulus from the environment and choose how to respond to that. So that's another key difference between us and other other animals as well. And again, like kind of once once you come to this awareness and appreciation that everyone and everything is the way they are for a reason, that allows you then to develop greater degrees of compassion and empathy and understanding and discernment, and always then allowing you to step back from any situation no matter what it is and always start with asking why why did that happen why did that person do that and i'm just currently reading zapolsky's book behave behave right and the second i started reading i was like i fucking am in love with this book and he actually gives a 15 minute talk i literally just watched where we hopped online today i was eating i was eating some food like i watched this 15 minute ted talk he done and it's basically the summary like literally the first like five minutes is him reading word for word the introduction of his book but the way he went about looking at, at human behavior was so good he goes right you have to look at what went on seconds before the behavior then you have to look what what went on weeks and months before that behavior then you have to look what happened like years decades before that behavior so now you're going back to the person's childhood and shit and then he's like now you got to go back to like uh millennia and evolution so like he went from like the micro all the way to the macro with the question of why this person behaved like that in that moment of time and the amount of factors that go into that all the way from uh chronic factors such as your upbringing to fucking you know epigenetical expressions in the fucking womb the womb environment 
like again you're upbringing from from uh, culture society school friends family to more transient acute factors like blood sugar regulation in that moment nutrition sleep that you had that night before a week going into that moment where you did that certain behavior like so many factors and if if people could just appreciate that everything that sorry that everyone and everything is the way they are for a reason like something led to that behavior or that moment in time and then if people could just step back and, and ask why rather than straight away going to condemning and like because then that, that that would make understanding and communication so much better again going back to like the coaches who were like resistance to change instead of us going like oh those fucking coaches are assholes you know it's like well why are they an asshole like why are they resistant to change oh they're that's their background. That's where they're from, you know. So, like an easy way that I always explain it too, uh, Max is like, you know, I often sit down with people like, you know, I've I've had a friend who spent time in Palestine, like, and he hates the Israelis now. And I'm like, I'm like, listen, if you're born a Palestinian and you're taught from day one, Israelis are a bunch of assholes. That's going to be your belief system. And then if you were born on the other side of that wall, you're getting fed the fucking same story, but in reverse. Oh, you're an Israeli. The Palestinians are wankers. It's the same here in Ireland as well. If you were born up in Northern Ireland back when the troubles were going on there big time and you're a Catholic, you'd be like, see the Proties, share wankers. Then vice versa, you're born as a Proties, see the Catholics, share wankers. Same then if we were if we were born in fucking Nazi Germany back in the 30s, we would have been like, kids, Hitler is the shit. He looks after us. Uh, Jews are rats. Don't go near Jews because they just bring down everything. They're just not nice people. And we'd be like, okay, yeah, yeah, because we're kids. Like we don't have the fucking cognitive power to question that shit. It just would be in our environment. Like, and then same if you were born a fucking white fucking person in uh fucking the middle nineteenth century, you're taught from day one, black people are inferior. They do our work. They're slaves. Uh, never mingle with them. And they're, you know, we're completely superior to them. Blah blah blah. And you're like, from day one, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's that seems that seems to drive, yeah, yeah. Because you're brainwashed for that essentially, you know. And and by the way, just so we're clear on this, I know you know this. I'm in no way uh, condemning, or sorry, I'm in no way like saying that what like slavery and what the Nazis done was was fucking brilliant. No way am I saying that. What I'm saying is, I understand why that happened. I have an appreciation for why that those those environment situations came about, and it's those dark places that most people just don't want to go to. Like when when we're getting deep in this podcast, this is my podcast, so I can say whatever the fuck I want. Like when you read about like murder and rape and child pedophilia, nobody wants to step back and go, well, why? What leads to that? Like no one wants to go down those dark holes to see to get those answers because they're probably afraid of what they'll actually find out. It's like, oh, holy shit. Like there's actually like this this person is like because the frame of reference for most people is this person's a monster. So they should just be like thrown in jail and that's it. Whereas if you like start the question, I go, well, this actually could be a reason that led to them doing that action. And really, it isn't as clear. And they're like, no, 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 don't ruin my 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 frame of reference here because it's safe to them. They don't want to go down that again uncertainty. They don't want to go down that uncertain hole of like, well, if I look more into this, and that's why I'll let you talk now. That's why some of the greatest acts of just like humanity have been forgiveness like john pope john paul all right the fucking vatican all that with the catholic church and sexual things that's a whole yeah that was terrible horrible but when he got shot he went and visited the guy that shot him and said here i forgive you like what the fuck like to most people i'd be like yeah out of your mind martin luther king fucking told all the the black people love your white brothers and sisters and everyone's like what are you talking about they treat us like shit and he's like yes we need to realize that if you were in their shoes you would be doing what what they are doing to us because that's their environment that's what they grew up in same with gandhi like he's like you know listen fucking 
all that you know jesus as well like like it, and whether you believe in jesus or not i always talk about this like whether jesus was real or he was just a fucking uh an analogy to get a point across the whole story of jesus is this which is so funny because then everyone that like follows him lives in complete contradiction of him the whole story of jesus was that when he got nailed to the cross his love for us was so unconditional that he forgave us. <laughs> he's there getting nailed across. He's like, uh, just let you know, I forgive you and I love you because I completely understand you're the way you are for a reason. Sorry, I, I forgive you. Like, you know what I mean? That, that's the whole point of the story. Like, he was so unconditional that he let himself get killed. Like, that's the whole point of the story. Whether it happened or not, I don't know. But, like, it's, it's, uh, it's so funny that, like, you know, people sort of miss that. Yeah, it's gas too because, like, if, if Jesus was to come back in resurrection he would he, he like like you know obviously he like all fundamental christians love jesus and but if he came back he'd look like a muslim <laughs> you know what i mean because like, all the all the statues of jesus like he's all like white with a like with a beard it's like i don't think he would have looked like that living in jerusalem all those years ago but anyway he's a, he's a guy i'd like to meet he'd be pretty cool i wonder why his vertical jump would be like holy shit look at that it's uh I don't know how that to follow some, that up, yeah. <laughs> that, that, was, that was some rant there. That was all the way from old school coaches who got ego and uncertainty. That's what led me into that. But what I mean to that is just understanding human behavior really is what it is and going down I dark holes. Like, as you know yourself, been... it's, it's all connected, man. The whole universe is connected. But anyway, the... go on there. I just show up for a few minutes and you wrap. No, I think that's kind of been the theme of this whole talk is like even look at the physiological level, like what did they do growing up? what happened, right? We talk about the psychology you went on, but now we're looking at like, okay, the physiological, why are they expressing certain things this way? Why is, you know, that person getting hurt, right? We take it from the very micro, um, various from like, oh, let's go right now, this past three seconds, then two days before, then a week before, then a year before, then a lifetime before. Yeah. Yeah. The appreciation of such lets you um, at least hopefully take a better route to the conclusion as opposed to uh, being very reactive to a situation and only looking at the acute and not understanding the kind of chronological events that might have led to such yeah big time all right we'll wrap this bad boy up uh, just before we go what are you currently reading i am reading an integrative physiology textbook right now by oh, wow. um i don't remember the guy's name it's a, he's a wild name it sounded swedish it was very it's a really well written book it might be a woman I know, I know the last name um but i don't have it on me right now so i apologize <laughs> um, uh, I've been on a big PubMed kick. I've just been reading tons of papers. Sweet. Um, have you watched any good documentaries, movies, or listened to any good podcasts lately? Yeah, so um, documentaries I recently watched too. I watched uh, The World's Strongest Man one, uh, where I had oh. Br- uh, Brian Shaw, who I was actually fortunate enough to test and meet with. Um, cool. He an absolute professional and you get to understand why someone at that level is so successful. And I watched, is that on Netflix? Is that on Netflix? Uh, the, yeah, the one with him, I'm not on the Netflix one, but <laughs> the one about him is on Netflix. Um, it's him. It's about the Arnold classic. It's him, uh, Thor and Eddie, um, Eddie, Hall, Eddie Hall. Yeah. Eddie Hall. Yeah. As their story. And no, and also, uh, the, who's the individual from Lithuania? Um, oh, the most famous strongman ever. He's like, uh, Magnus Magnuson. Yeah, Magnus no, 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 not, not Magnus Magnuson. It's a, I can't remember the guy's name. He always wins the Arnold. It's a, yeah, it's an yeah. awesome documentary. Um, and then I watched the Conor McGregor one, uh, Notorious, as well. Was that good? It was good. Yeah, it was interesting to kind of see. I work with a lot of uh, MMA fighters here, and uh, Dude, it, yeah. 
Yeah, we work with a whole crew of them. Um, but it's, it's interesting to kind of see him and the, his back story, because obviously we've, we interact with and work with and train a lot of individuals uh, at our facility. All right, so that's book documentary. Any podcasts, any good podcasts you came across lately or is anything you're listening to? Uh, I've been listening to Joe Rogan. I'll give him a shout-out. <laughs> uh, good old Joe. Good old Joe. Um, I was listening to Integrated Functional Medicine one. I don't remember the title of it. Obviously, I've been listening to Joel's. I listened to a lot of How how I Built This. Um, oh. It's on, um, I think it's NPR has it. It dives into different entrepreneurs about how they started their startups and that kind of their business career and path. And I find that to be very interesting. Uh, what else we got? So that's books, podcasts, documentaries. Yeah, so to let, what, 11 a.m. over there, what are you going to go out now for the day? What have you... I'm going to try and get a little lift in, try to be less weak. Um, <laughs> despite... What do you, what, 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 you, what you have for your breakfast? Uh, five eggs. And I'm going to eat some... Whole eggs? Yes, sir. Mm, nice, yeah, nice, nice. So nice. I had eggs. I, just, I scrambled eggs, sweet potato myself for breakfast, and then it's it's 6 p.m. here, so I've had lunch as well. Lunch was turkey with a sort of a a veg stir fry with some tikka masala sauce. It was mm, delish. That sounds wonderful. It was actually quite wonderful. And then last thing before I let you go, I know I asked you the dinner question last time. Oh, am I get a new but, one? <laughs> well, you can if you if you want a new one, you can. You can decide if you want to. If you had five people right now, who would you take? I'll ask you that in a sec. But before I do that, is there any one particular individual who's on your mind right now that you would like to chat with? You know the way, like you're. I say right now for me, it's a Polsky. I'd love to sit down and talk just because I'm reading this book right now. Sit down and chat with. Now, this, is this sport related or is this? No, no, any, any, any individual. Elon Musk, Elon Musk, he's been on your mind. Yeah, I mean, I, that's what's going to kind of. Obviously, I'm biased because I just listened to the podcast with Joe Rogan on Elon Musk. Um, I just find talking to very, I want successful, innovative individuals is really unique to see yeah. and hear how their mind processes things because it's slightly different <laughs> than maybe me and yours. Because oh, absolutely. The way they think, it's not one step ahead, but it's like they completed steps one, two, and three, and they're thinking of step four before they've even done step one. And so yeah. it's like it's this somehow very um, analytical I, yet creative mind. I I see those like you see the way you said like step one, two, three, and four. Like I I agree with that in a certain sense that like yeah they are like those like they're steps ahead, but. That makes it seem like linear. I also see those creative thinkers as if, as if like there's like steps ahead, but then there's like these lateral things as well. Like it's like a web more like. You know yeah. I mean? So that's actually my belief on creativity is a creative individual. So what happens is we learn a lot of periphery, right? And at the center yeah, yeah. of it, there's something a creative idea. What these individuals are do, they're able to take less periphery to develop a creative idea and inferentially connect them in ways that others might not. So if yeah, I were to think yeah, of, yeah. of an idea of like a car, for me, who's not creative, I might be like, okay, I need an engine. Okay, I need wheels. I need the reasons behind it, like the public transit. I need blah, 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 all these things for me to eventually get to the idea of a car. Creative yeah. people only need one and two, and then they build their own other peripheral dots that lead them to the middle point. Holy fuck, we're, we've been on Sky for two hours and 15 minutes, you know because uh, I, I called back. I did not. I, I just number. looked at it, yeah. Yeah, it's, it says 2.07 right now, but like, I, that's because I called back. Fucking hell. Jeez, this just <laughs> okay. flies by, doesn't it? 
Unreal. Sports, science, technology, life, religion, human behavior, going to dinner with people. It's unreal. Right. Uh, yeah, so I'll ask you our question, Sophie. So if you have five people now that you'd like to take to dinner, who would you, who would you take? First off, we're going to sushi. All you can eat sushi. I got a preference uh, restaurant. Yeah, absolutely. I, I went to one of those in Seattle. It was called Feast. I say I all say this wrong. Uh, the, the word bu- buffet. Is that how yeah. you say it? Yeah. Buffet? Yeah, I, I say buffet or something. Buffet. Joe, Joel Jameson slapped my wrist for that. He's like, that's not what it's called. But, uh, <laughs> oh, it was unbelievable. I swear to God, they had some type of crack cocaine in the seaweed salad because I must have ate about a fucking kilo of it. it was unbelievable. <laughs> so we're going. We're going to all you can eat sushi because mm. if we're doing this, we're we're doing it right. Yes, sir. Um, and if I wanted to invite five people, now this is five people, regardless of time regardless yeah, yeah. of sports yeah. science um i, I would invite people i would I, like I'd actually i want you to invite people who aren't sports science let's let's i would like to invite it's... lebron james okay i would be very interested in talking to him and just i, I want to see his, i want to see his fee shows those fee <laughs> i would just, <laughs> i would love to just be around um that someone who's been greatness at that high of a level um yeah. I would also then invite Michael Jordan because I want to hear them debate as who's better. <laughs> We're going to have a real life, a lifetime debate about them. Um, I would like to invite, uh, obviously, if I'm going to talk to Elon Musk, I'm going to invite him to this dinner. So, Elon, you get to come hang out. Um, I would like to invite uh, Phil Knight from Nike. Okay. And I was, um, I'm interested in his story, the process of how he got to where he was, and then Steve Jobs, if Steve Jobs was still here. Yeah, so no, a, a, a mix. I would like <laughs> the greats in athletics, and it's obviously basketball, which I'm biased towards, and then yeah. those kind of thinkers, but thinkers in different ways. You have the kind of technological engineer, which is you know, Elon. You have a very artistic yet athletic means, which is Phil Knight, and then you have the uh, kind of all the above with Steve Jobs. I guarantee you, like, between all the five of those lads, some sort of, like, the, some sort of, like, cooperation will come together where you could just see, like, Elon Musk, like, or, or, or like, Phil Heath or whatever, or, or sorry, Phil, like, he, like, they just, like, get LeBron and Michael Jordan to, like, sign contracts and promote their shit and make millions. <laughs> and then, like, Steve, Steve Jobs, like, he'll be back from the dead, like, in on that as well. Like, yeah, here, LeBron will get you in an Apple ad and all this. And, uh, <laughs> and Michael, you, you can do it too, but, you know, the fact that you're retired, you're a little bit old news. But you were still great, don't get me wrong. Uh, you know what I mean? So, if you gas, yeah, if you gas. Uh, that's it, my man. It was fucking unbelievable. My bladder's going to explode here, so I got a fucking <laughs> perish. But, um... That's all I got right now. You anything else you want to sign off with? Come here. Uh, just g- give people the contact details again. And what's it? What's the name of the place here? Re- resilient Code or yeah, Resilient? So is it res- Resilient or Resilience? Resilience Code is where I work at. Um, Exergo Technologies is my sports science company. I work with. Send me those. Send me those. Greg. I'll put them in the show notes. And then my uh, Instagram page is strong underscore by underscore science, and I post okay. a lot of videos of the sports science we work on other informative things. Um, every now and then, a snap story of me watching the Great British Baking Show. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll stick all that in the show notes for everyone. But listen, Savage, absolutely brilliant. Saturday evening here for me, Saturday morning for you. What a fucking better way to spend it. Really appreciate the chat. Um, obviously, stay online there while I just wrap this up. So yep. for everyone listening, take care. 
Be well, and as I say at the end of every podcast, stay strong. Thank <laughs> you.